There is no better place. It's time to talk. Do you want to wait again? He doesn't cock his ground to the internet. Fair play. That's a court threat at this stage, I think. <laughs> the Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. I just love cork people. Conversation that matters. Love cork people. Good, nice to be back. Uh, my sincerest thanks, as always, to Vic Mulcahy for the past couple of weeks and also for uh, my own gang here uh, for keeping the show on the road and keeping things rocking for the last fortnight. So good morning to you all. Um, paper-wise, this morning, there's been a lot of stories, of course, uh, while I've been away, and uh, some of them are still continuing to uh, make the news and dominate the papers. An interesting one on in the front of the mail this morning, uh, according to the Irish uh, Truck Hauliers Association. They're saying that um, Irish hauliers are being offered payments every single day. Irish hauliers in the con- on the continent are being offered money to smuggle migrants or indeed illicit items into the country. Uh, and hauliers are being offered up to 25 grand, apparently, targeted all day, every day by trackers, uh, sh- sorry, by traffickers, I should say, and potential stowaways. Would you take a box? Would you take a package? Would you take a message? Would you take some people in the back of the Arctic, whatever the case may be? Truckers make the front page of this morning's uh, mail. It's a, a connected story uh, to research in this morning's Irish Times where they say that immigration and the people coming into Ireland, um, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the time uh, without paperwork. That's the top now. Uh, with regards to the list of issues that's getting the attention of voters in the past month. It's very interesting. It's a, time by, it's a survey by the Irish Times and, and Ipsos where immigration is the main issue for voters, closely followed by housing. After that, taxation and climate change and cost of living and inflation. I think you could kind of almost marry cost of living and inflation to taxes and things like that, couldn't you? Um, but the, the main item at the moment now would appear to be immigration, the amount of people coming into, into, into Ireland. They're going to it in quite an amount of detail. Uh, we were chatting with Holly Kearns this morning. Uh, she's not inclined to come on the air at the moment with regards to the fact that she's closed her constituency office because of security concerns, but she has done that. As uh, a story from uh, the examiner this morning. Apparently she's saying that the Gardaí advised her against holding constituency clinics she says, I've spoken publicly about it in the past and I don't. She was telling us this morning, I really have no more to say than I've already said at this point. But all of the signage has been taken down from our constituency office and the office has been closed and she has said, and we know that in recent times she was left absolutely terrified after an online stalker uh, began to appear at her West Cork home. In fact, she did say, and talking to me and also to the examiner, she said in the past that if she knew what she was getting into in advance of getting into politics, she'd never have done it. She says, I'm glad I didn't know. Uh, so I don't actually have any regrets about running for politics. But if I knew what I was getting into then, honestly, uh, I wouldn't have done so in the first place. Uh, there's a, been a slump as well for support in Sinn Féin. I can't actually put any particular reason behind it, uh, but apparently they've lost all of the gains that they made since the last general election. Uh, and it's another poll that makes the papers today that the three years of gains that Sinn Féin had have now been wiped out. And if this continues, of course, whenever the election will be, we'd be more inclined to be looking at a, a Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael coalition with the help of some independence, perhaps, unless Sinn Féin can make it back. Um, I, was, I was away when uh, the death was announced uh, of Ian Bailey. I was, I was shocked and, and quite surprised, although he had been saying 
for a number of months and had been in and out of hospital with heart-related issues and he said that things weren't looking all that good but I don't know how many of us were taking him all that seriously at the time but he died uh, and of course uh, now of course um, questions are being asked with regards to what happens with the cold case investigation. More, more on that throughout the course of the morning but it's a front page of Making the Mirror today and I'll talk to John Jumbo Cairns later. Um, the Gardaí have uh, gone into his flat, his ground floor flat uh, and seized an awful lot of documentation, uh, laptops, phones, diaries, writing, stuff like that, and taken it all away. Uh, but uh, it would appear that John Kern certainly has been able to see some of the entries in uh, Ian Bailey's diaries where he boasts of sexual conte- conquests, drug-taking, and his love affair with uh, alcohol. So that's one that dominates the front of the mirror today, Bailey's sex diaries and his secret obsessions. Um, the papers also, like the mail, they say uh, that he had actually given up smoking and he'd given up drinking to prepare for a heart surgery. Now, I don't know whether he had stayed off the drink or stayed off the fags, but this is one of the final revelations um, from the murder suspect about a month before his death in one of his final interviews he had said that he'd given up the fags and given up the drink because he would have been going in for major surgery probably an awful lot of stints uh, in his heart and what have you uh, so more more on that for sure um, and also you, you might recall the, the skeletal remains that were discovered of a female pensioner whose skeletal remains were found in the undergrowth and the old railway line between Middleton and Yall uh, three years ago that remains an unsolved mystery we know that it's female. We know the woman was elitely aged, at least in her in her seventies. She was large framed. We know that she was five foot uh, to five foot two in height. She had dentures. She was suffering with arthritis. Uh, she was wearing a nightdress, um, and uh, it was also the fact that she uh, was recovered, or the you know the skeletal remains recovered with a, a crucifix near the area where the body was found. But of course, most importantly, nobody knows who she is. It's understood actually. The echo. Uh, say that the Guardi are renewing their appeal now to try and identify who this woman was. Um, and uh, it's understood the body was at the site. It was found by workers actually working on the you know, the old railway line there. They were working away there on the area known as the Shanty Path. But they say that it's understood the body woman would have been at the site for about 10 years apparently. Uh, so um, that's another unsolved, unsolved uh, mystery and an unsolved death. Um, I think it's about time that I paid the television license. <laughs> Loath though I am to do it. I've held out well, lads, since March of this, since March of last year, and I refused to pay the feckin' thing. But now they're sending 60 people uh, to court every single day, and who wants to go to court? I suppose they just pay up and shut up. The Independent this morning is saying 60 people a day are now facing prosecutions for not paying their television licence. The letters that are coming in now are marked extremely urgent-like. You know the way you get the red letter and then the urgent letter. Now it's the extremely urgent-like. But at the same time, of course, RTE have announced their top earners for the year uh, 2022. I don't know when we'll get the ones for 2023, but nobody should be surprised to know that Ryan Tuberty was the top earner at 515,000 uh, coming in second. I'm go- this is going to sound like the commentary of a horse race if I'm not careful, but coming in second, close behind, uh, Joe Duffy coming in at um, actually a huge gap between the two, 515 for Tubbs, 351 then for Joe Duffy and all the way down then Claire Byrne followed by Miriam McCallaghan Ray Darcy Brendan O'Connor Brian Dobson Mary Wilson Daryl Maloney and uh, bringing up the field George Lee so that's the top 10 uh, all of the earnings are catalogued in the 
uh, in the in the online editions of the papers this morning. At the same time, of course, I'm hearing that Mike Michal Martin wants RTE to be totally and utterly funded by the Exchequer. So no more television license. They'll just get a whole wad of cash whenever they need it from the government through taxpayers' money and be paid everything they need directly from the Exchequer. Probably making RTE lazier and more boring than it already is. No disrespect to the ones that are working very hard. That's can't, that's not a good idea, uh, funding them directly from the Exchequer. Because as you know, any business that has to really uh, you know, um, you know, survive has to work for it. Uh, and RTE should be no different to that. Like any other private sector business, you've got to earn your crust, not just to be given it free of charge. Uh, sadly, though, we have more and more childcare centres across Cork. Well, Michal Martin can find money to pay it directly to RTE. Childcare centres continue to close. And the Echo this morning says that 30 childcare centres have now shut uh, across Cork in the year of 2023 pretty sad, isn't it, when it comes to uh, our young. The young and the elderly in Ireland, always the ones that are treated the worst. And those in the middle, not a whole lot better. The Eurovision legend Johnny Logan is backing Ireland's Bambi thug to triumph in this year's competition. And if I could let you in on a little secret, I like the song. Uh, And I like it a lot. I think it's very different, for sure it is, but then Eurovision has gone that way. And I think, but more importantly... Certainly, much more importantly than me, uh, Johnny Logan thinks that finally uh, we may well definitely get the attention we deserve. It's eye-catching, it's different, and it's probably the best and most original entry Ireland has had for a very long time, says he. And he's won it three times, so he knows what he's talking about. Might give it a spin a little later on and talk and actually have a chat tomorrow with Mamby Thug on air. Um, she actually did respond, according to the Echo, to an awful lot of the online hate comments. With, with everything these days, of course, you have those who uh, will support you and like what you do and say nice things. But unfortunately, there's always going to be those that say quite the opposite. So even the Cork born and raised singer and musician um, got grief over the song and the fact that it will represent Ireland and she responded to the online hate uh, apparently yesterday asking people to remember uh, that they are human too. Uh, papers, I think I said she, of course she's, uh, she's non-binary so therefore it would be they. Um, anyway, and, uh, and also in other news, uh, Miriam Mullins, our own, very well, our own very well-known broadcaster here at Red FM and super influencer, uh, had a good run in Dancing with the Stars but got voted off over the weekend so that dominates many of the papers today and I may have an opportunity to have a chat with her a little later on but you know, we talk about sport or what people like to watch or where to go in the world that we live in it's kind of sad that people prefer to be sedentary and they would much prefer listen to who's talking they would much prefer to sit at home on the couch and watch the match from home rather than actually going to the sporting event itself so it would make them I suppose armchair uh, sports fans if you like and as the rugby heroes, heroes prepared to take on France in Marseille and the Friday in the Six Nations, most of the fans couldn't be bothered being in the stadium with nearly 60% of them saying they'd prefer to stay on the sofa. Mind you, it wouldn't, I mean, it's an awful lot cheaper just to sit there and watch it on the sofa rather than having to head off overseas. It would take a fair chunk of change, right? Yeah, and Marseille is not an easy place to, to get to either. Now, you're speaking to a Marseille lover having lived there but and support could, uh, the team uh, and everything and the velodrome is like, it is a once-in-a-lifetime experience going to that stadium. So I think people are missing out. Oh, I know, but it could be any sport. Not necessarily yeah. rugby. You know, soccer. Oh, I get, I Soccer's good get for you. television. Tennis works on television. Darts works well on television. Snow 
snooker works well on I television. I know, but it just nothing beats being there, does there? I, 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 think I don't anyway. know about something. I don't know about that. I mean, really? there was a time in the past when I used to go to an awful lot of rugby matches. It was a keen thing to do up to yeah. Dublin for it. Boy, I tell you something, you miss an awful lot of the game when you're actually at it. Because you reckon? I, I, I mean, maybe I'm thick. I couldn't follow a lot of the decisions. <laughs> Whereas on television, I have a commentator telling me everything I need to yeah, know. Yeah, no, I get you. I, I actually think cr- uh, cricket do a thing which is really clever that um, you can buy a little earpiece and you get the match commentary from whatever TV That's right. thing you can, are you showing us, yeah, which yeah. is a great idea for yeah. the cricket. I don't know if they do that but in you rugby. But you get the replays and everything on the television sitting at home. You but, you, but you get it in the... Like, I, not in League of Ireland football, but you can get it in a lot of... Most other sporting occasions, they have big screens that show. Like I went to the two laws. I was very lucky. You picked the right game. We went over to Marseille a couple of weeks ago. We went to Marseille Strasbourg on the Friday and Munster Toulon on the Saturday. And, and, and they had the replays and, and they explained the decisions. But and then you have to get home, yeah, or it might rain on top of you, and you get hassle trying to get the tra- the subway. And then the plane is late. And I know, but like to going to that Munster game and watching none Munster of that come, will happen on the couch. I get that, but. If you, you you watch that on the like I, I give it a difference right you watch the monster game on the couch a monster like for example they come back from behind they beat Toulon and you're you're happy right you're, you come away and you make yourself lunch and you're happy and you sit back down on the television and you're thinking what's next right we had the whole day like that was the whole day for us Monster won the game there was celebrations what afterwards they lost? there was points in the pub See, they lost then you're on the couch saying alright that's good but I fun. tell you oftentimes the away games where Cork City lose we would say were the best trips and we'd say to ourselves thank God we actually went because the football might have been crap but the trip was a great trip we had great crack on the way up isn't it we had great crack on the way home I know. we really enjoyed the I'll atmosphere I'll tell you one thing isn't it true though to say because an article in the papers this morning about Kerry remaining the king with regards to people who staycation they go to Kerry first and then Cork is second, mm. thankfully. But isn't it very true that Kerry gas supporters take no prisoners? Like, if you if Kerry lost a match in Croke Park in Krispy Kreme Park, yeah. right? Wouldn't it be mayhem? <laughs> like, there would be like they, they would never forgive them. So, like, we we just get over it. Whereas Kerry people take it personally. I know, but like, yeah, I suppose when we have a football team that are losing their first match of Division Two in the league, you have to kind of reset your expectations, don't you? I I would say that um, they go to win, th- man. This isn't going to be a very popular opinion, but I would say that Cork people pretend that they love going to Cork sporting occasions more than they actually do I think the vast majority of people in Cork say I'll go to all the matches now I'll be big into the GA but then you'd actually see attendances at league matches and there's only about two or three thousand and problem. when you look at the championship matches then everybody's going but you look at League of Ireland matches nobody's going you look at even the Munster like Munster games in the in the um, whatever, the, whatever the Celtic League is now the top not the top 14 but the Pro pro 14 I, I know this, this keeps changing names anyway the games at Munster Park, like they get good attendances, but you're not getting the you're not getting the packed even for big out. matches. Even, well, like they don't really bring the big matches down to Cork. Now you'll see the the, the games in Parky Cueve they'll sell out, but they're events. People like events. People like going to sporting events, not necessarily going to sporting matches. I don't know. And Maybe I think 70 to 60, you were, 68, 70% of people prefer the couch. The couch. But you were saying yourself about the rugby that the rugby, that was the thing to do going up to the matches and that was, now it's maybe not so much the thing to do and it becomes less popular. I think people like going to events as opposed to, people like being there for the big thing as opposed to necessarily going to sporting occasions for the sporting occasions. Okay, let's get people's thoughts on that and lots more besides text 0868104106. There are other stuff in the newspapers I'll come back to in a few minutes time. I get stuck into calls after the break. Thank you. Call Neil now. 0818104106.
I remember uh, some years back, back in 2015, John Constant, 57-year-old uh, taxi driver, among the taxi drivers who were happy to work nights, um, picked up a, a group of um, punters. I think there were six of them from Grand Parade and brought them down to Glen, down to Glanton. Do you recall that? Um, some got out, gave the money to the other two. One guy had fallen asleep, uh, got sick in the back seat and ended up then uh, punching John Constant and really hurting him. Uh, You might remember that case. That was in 2015. Uh, John Constant was on the air with me back in the day. I think we managed to fit uh, some new security cameras into his vehicle. Uh, But that's one story, and I'll talk to John a little later on. Even since 2015, I'm led to believe that really, led to believe at this stage, really there isn't a week goes by uh, that uh, a Cork taxi driver doesn't get into some kind of uh, trouble with a punter. And the latest one was a taxi driver in his uh, 70s um, who was uh, received injuries to his hand and needed medical attention. Now, we got on to guard a press about this. Um, apparently, the, the taxi driver picked up a fare. You know the old Swan and Signet taxi rank? That's where he picked up the fare on Friday night. I'll some, find out some more of it but in a couple of seconds. But three males... Gardy came back to him and said, yeah, they are investigating the hijacking of a vehicle uh, that occurred in Cork City Friday night, uh, half past ten. Three males flagged down a taxi. They were taken to Rathpeakin. They assaulted the taxi driver and hijacked his vehicle. Literally took the car, left him there, I guess. Investigations are ongoing. I was keen to get more on this story. And with that in mind, Bobby Lynch uh, for the Cork Taxi Council, himself a taxi driver for many, many a long year. He joins me by phone. Bobby, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, first, first of all, how is th- how is this driver? Have you managed to chat with him? Yeah, I was chatting to him uh, about half an hour after it happened, and uh, I was on the phone constantly for him. And uh, he's not too good around, Neil. I, I, I will tell you that. He's, all right, okay. Uh, well, but I can understand why there was a knife pulled. What, yeah. what, what happened? So he's on the rank at the Swan and Signet Friday night. Talk us through what happened. Uh, he was coming coming down Patrick Street to go into the rank and two cars stopped the move and he pulled in and he was on soon to stop and three fellas got into the car and they wanted to go up by Kansas Barracks and then they wanted to go up by Mayfield and then they wanted to go up by the, the country square you know, the old Mallow Road yeah Kilcully Way they went to back, yeah they went to back road as you, as you would like and uh and he got to the main road. Why, why, were, were they picking other people up at Bellevue Crescent and then another one no, in Liffey no, Park? No, 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 no. They were calling to houses and stuff like that, you know? Calling to houses, and, okay. Uh, All right. Yeah, and uh, like when, when he came around to the main Mallow Road, well, not the main one, the old Mallow Road, he, he said, uh, will I go left or right? And uh, your man put a knife to his throat and... Uh, he got a fight and uh, he goes, so you're joking me. And he went to, he, he cut the knife and your man pulled it and uh, they got him over the car. And you when know, he had his phone in his pocket and when he put his hand into his pocket after the gun, he got over his phone, he couldn't see the screen with the blood. Because the knife so slashed to, his yeah, hand. Yeah. And uh, he rang the girl to Mahaga and then... Uh, when the girls came to me, rang me and told me, told me what happened. And like uh, the girls were very good and fairness, all they were there from Mahaga and, and they did, did their job well. But uh, like we're like we're sick of this happening because uh, we have no help. No, I, I will tell you the rest of the story. What happened to him? Saturday he, he rang 
the doctor, but you know, you go through the south dock or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And they said, look, we'll ring you back. So he was waiting. That was in the, in the morning. 11 o'clock Saturday night, he got a call from a doctor. Right? No. Saturday night. Saturday night. He, he, he got a panic attack. He thought he was getting a heart attack and stuff like that. Now, you must remember, he's an elderly man. He's a 70s. What a fit man. A, a fairly fit man. And, uh, like, uh, this is after knocking him back. And the doctor that rang him that night told him to take two paracetamol and go into bed. No. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a disgrace. No. Now, the, the, last, the, the last driver that got a beating here, you, you remember well, it was on, on YouTube or whatever. No. We met with a sergeant after that. Uh, two of us and brought concerns to him and he brought her alone and everything in fairness two weeks later you were chatting to the same sergeant me, mm. and you wished him uh, happy in his retirement mm. what in the name of God did we meet that sergeant for when he was retiring we met no superintendent as what you do you want but what do you want John I'm, I'm blue Barry uh, Bobby I'm blue in the <laughs> face trying to get you to put perspic partitions we, between we, the front we, and the back, and you won't do it. Well, look, look if a fellow wants you order the car, you can put all the safety things into the car you want. If they want you, they'll get you. It's a waste of time putting partitions in. Is it though? Seriously? No, seriously. Even even if you were even if you were to petition for that or get the NTA or government to pay for it. To get Perspex partitions into all taxis, where it wouldn't cost the taxi driver any money, they wouldn't be able to get at you anymore. Well, if the NTA would pay for the, something like that for the trial, well and good. But let me tell you, the, entry, the NTA are not one bit worried about taxi drivers. They don't care about us. No, this driver had to change his car. Because of a nine-year rule, a perfect carrier to take off the yeah, road. I know. Then he, then he, then he bought a car. No, that car is missing, gone. He's he, he no financially. He's he's gone out, out of the business. Well, not just and that, he, but he, if he's that shaken, the chances of him working nights again are fairly slim, yeah. aren't they? Well, people are saying I can't get a taxi at night. Well, there's the reason why. There's the reason why. You know what I mean? Like, like, well, like, could you imagine drivers coming home? No, male and female drivers. Must remember, we have plenty of women driving taxis as well. No, could you imagine them coming home and saying it was attacked? First of all, your 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 kids and your your husband and your wife will tell you that's enough. Now you're not doing no more. I know. I understand. They would do that. Yeah, yeah. A wife would, or a oh. husband would, or a son or a daughter would. But 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 tell me, is you know what happened on 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 Friday night? Now is this a rare thing, or are there more of them that we're not hearing about? There's more of them that we're not hearing, that we're not hearing about. I'm not hearing about it because fellas are too ashamed to say they were caught in my head. It, it, it is the truth. Right? There's a lot of fellas out there that they got uh, abused, they got spat at. Uh, they, you look at the back of some fellas' jackets at night, is destroyed. People spitting at them and everything. Like, you'll be having the night day yeah. of taxi drivers have the proper. And then you have people coming out and saying, I can't get a taxi. No, you can't get a bus either at 12 o'clock at night. Where are the buses? No, yeah. I wouldn't blame the bus drivers. I I, 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 they, 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 the bus drivers put up for an awful lot as well. 
and his very dangerous for him. But uh, if, if a bus driver got a beating or caught up the way taxi drivers got, they get some help, they get counselling, they get something. We get nothing. No, the bus drivers deserve counselling and all that. They have a hard job. It can be harder than the taxi driver at times or all the passengers they have. But just we have no help. We have uh, false promises for, from our local councillors. We didn't hear one word for them for years. See, I think a lot of the time we, we don't hear we don't hear a lot of it where a taxi driver would be threatened. You know, they'd be threatened with assault or threatened with a weapon, um, and then people do a runner without paying the fare. That probably happens quite a lot. Uh, but this, of course, oh, yes. this was a oh, weapon yes. that ended up um, slashing yeah. and injuring his his hand. Right? I remember talking to to John Constant back in the day where he was saying uh, and you're right when you say it that he actually discussed with his wife at the time whether or not he should work nights after the incident but he was caught between a rock and a hard place because there's very little money to be made during the day you see well that's true well John what happened to John was an awful thing and for the people that did it the lads that did that to John they walked away scot-free. They got a caution, if I remember correctly, yeah. They got a caution. No. Would my son or anyone else's son get a caution? I don't think so. It all depends on who your parents is. Mm. And that's exactly what it is, they. Mm. It's not John Conson is, is a nice fella. And they, 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 they look at the taxi drivers before them. Uh, Johnny Baby. Um, you had the, the, the farm lad there a few weeks ago. He, he got an awful doom. Now that that's going to court. But the guards are very good to us. But it's the superintendents that are in charge of them. They, they're not getting in contact with us. Yeah. We, we, uh, but they, they, can't, they, can't prevent the, they can't prevent the assaults. They can't stop them. You know, they can investigate them. But what's it going to take to prevent them? What's it going to taste the first sentence needs for a start? Okay. There's some countries, if you put your hand in a taxi driver, you would end up getting five years in prison. Yeah, that's true. And, and, more, and more than that, and there are signs up in many countries where you will see that, you know, that it is... The case you referenced there was a, a Cork taxi driver by the name of Junaid, as you know. Uh, right. He said he's that's afraid right. to go to work that's after being right. battered by a passenger who yeah. refused to pay the fare. Yeah. He's calling for more protection for taxi drivers. I'm reading from Cork Biona. He was on the air with us recently. Yeah. A Pakistani native, living and working here 15 years, um, and got, as you say, a bad beating. Yeah. Oh, just no, a I, barrage I, 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 of punches I, I, from the passenger. Oh, it was it was frightening. You could you imagine that that chap's wife and his kids looking at that? No wonder he wouldn't be left out to walk. Mm. And it's happening. Mm. It's happening. But like, we have no help whatsoever. We, we, we have councils saying they do this. They, 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 the councils don't care about us. They don't care one bit. They'll come on to you there and they, and they start weeping. They say, oh, we'll do this and that for tax. They're doing nothing for us. No, no one. But we're left. The taxi drivers have to look after themselves. It's as simple as that. So does that mean that less and less now are inclined to work nights, is it? You wouldn't believe the amount of cards I got for listening. Bobby, I used to finish up at 12 o'clock on a Saturday night and a Friday night. I know, no, I think I have to finish up earlier. So you only have that split second to decide as to whether you're going to let 
an individual or a group of people into the taxi or not. You've only got that split second. You, you, you have, you have. But what, what happened to the driver Friday night was that he, he hadn't got that split second because the minute he pulled into the rank, two cars were pulling out, the pair got into his car. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He was caught on the wheels. But, like, like it's, it's an absolutely disgrace. We, like, if we had stiffer sentences and they like, no, when Alan Kelly was the junior minister for transport, he, he, he promised and we have in writing that right. he put cameras on, on, on taxi stands and taxi ranks. He never did it. What about, you know the, you know the case on, on Friday night, man in his 70s, and I know they injured him badly with that knife, but what, did they rob him as well? No, no, okay. they didn't. Okay. He found his, some woman found his license thrown into a ditch up with a country square the next day and handed okay. it in. And no, no, no sight of the car, a 171 car, no sight of it since? So I think she's one seven two or something. Like There's no sign that it's fine. Like this man, even if he wants to come back to work, is he, he have no care? Why are you worried that the chances are it's been burned out or something like that? Well, burned out. Just, just like why did he take it in the first place? You know what I mean? Did, did he drive over? Did he go to Limerick or other countries with it? We don't know. But uh, like the car was released to the water. Yeah, like, yeah. like, we only worried about the driver or himself. Because he, he, he's, he's, uh, he's not that well. But, I mean, he, got, he got a bad fight. And it could have, it could have been his throat that they cut rather than his hand. You know what I mean? But mm. like, thank God. Mm. Thank God he's, he's okay. But like, Neil, I, I, I will put the piece of drivers out there. If they feel that they're, they're unsafe driving at night all by day, just just don't go to work. Go home. Go home. That's all we can do. But what if the money? What if the money is to be made at night? What then? Well, Neil, the money is not good if it's all right, Poppy. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Right. No, okay. no. I, I will. I will ask the councils, that's in, and, and the city manager. To wake up and do something for the taxi taxi drivers and cars, they put something out there that that will help us be safe. And the judges to wake up and give stiffer sentences and not suspended sentences. Thanks, Bob. Stay in touch. Sorry for uh, sorry for that poor misfortunate man. I hope he makes a full recovery. Taxi driver in his seventies, bad injury to the hand after that um, incident um, in the city and in the suburbs. And other on Kilcully on Friday night. Text 0868104106 back after the break. Particularly if you're a taxi driver, you'd like to get involved in the conversation, go for it. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Text or WhatsApp Neil now. 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Tough being a taxi driver these days, particularly with people who get in in shocking conditions, uh, getting sick in the back of the taxi and refusing to clean it up or refusing to pay the fine to have it cleaned up and then bringing in food and all sorts of stuff like that. I remember talking about it in 2015 with John and he made an interesting point actually that I was reminded by one of the newspaper reports on it when he was on the air with me back in the day when he said there was 43 million euro in the taxi regulators kitty at the time and the money should be put back into the cars for driver safety. I'm blue in the face talking about a perspex screen but I continue to talk about it because if you had a perspex screen between you and the passengers in the back seat, don't allow anyone in the front seat and all of the doors have central locking 
surely be to God if the taxi um, council or indeed the regulator would pers- perspex screens into all taxis or drivers would be safe because they would be cocooned in a place where they couldn't be got at. Anyway, text 0868104106. For those of you that might have been inquiring as to why I wasn't in a position to talk with Bambi Thug this morning following the victory for uh, Cork um, to represent the Eurovision Song Contest with the McCroom entry winning out in the shape of Bambi Thug, it's because yet again RTE put on these uh, ridiculous embargoes which they've been doing for years and years now that prevent people talking to commercial radio before they talk to RTE first. Um, it's, it's just, I, don't, I don't know why they get away with it, but they've been doing it for years and years. And of course, artists or people that you would like to interview um, have to uh, sign up for this because they need to get the coverage or this was a, an RTE gig. So that's one of the reasons why. Um, and I think it's all wrong, um, but RTE use this kind of a thing and throw the weight around in cases like that. So that's why it won't be today. Um, and apparently it would have to be uh, tomorrow until RTE get there I suppose pound of flesh if you like anyway uh, text 0868104106 I mentioned uh, at the top of the hour of course the uh, death of uh, Ian Bailey who collapsed uh, on the street uh, down in Bantry where he'd been living in a ground floor flat uh, for a period of time he spent many years of course with his partner now his ex-partner Jules Thomas who eventually asked him to leave and he did so uh, but one of the one of the interesting questions that you know was talking about it earlier on this morning as to what happens now with the cold case Garda investigation um, that's been ongoing with regards to revisiting every single nugget of information going all the way back to 1996 to see if at some stage um, you know some kind of light could be shed on who's responsible for the death of Sophie Toscan de Plante. And an awful lot of people, of course, have been taking sides in the last week or so as to whether it was Ian Bailey or somebody else. And, of course, he has always denied any involvement in her death, although uh, did pretty much for many years make himself uh, the main suspect in it. Wouldn't, wouldn't you think, though, that you, one thing that you have to grasp onto um, is innocent till proven guilty? Really and truly, regardless of what you might want to think, Innocent and proven guilty is all that we have to protect all of us. Um, And if there isn't evidence there, then one has to be found innocent of a crime and should not be brought to court, prosecuted for it. And that's pretty much what the DPP has said down through the years. But anyway, uh, I will come back to that aspect of it. But there has been developments even since uh, the unexpected death of Ian Bailey. Uh, And Barry Roach is across at Southern Correspondent with the Irish Times. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Just before I I talk to you a little bit about the latest part of the Garden investigation going into um, Ian Bailey's uh, flat, where are we with regards to the cold case investigation now, now that the prime suspect has died? It's continuing, Neil. Uh, Garda Press, uh, as you listen to Ian Bailey, passed away very suddenly on uh, last Sunday week. he collapsed on the street outside his flat in Barrick Street in Bantry and passes by, came to his assistance and performed CPR on him for a while uh, until the paramedics arrived but uh, unfortunately he didn't uh, or they couldn't revive him or resuscitate him and he passed away and was thrown later in Bantry General Hospital and that night Garda Press uh, I contacted them as I'm sure other reporters did and they issued a statement saying the Garda investigation into the murder of Sophie Tosco in Bantry in 1996 remains active and ongoing as does assistance from the serious Garda Serious Crime Review Team so that's a fix the cold case investigation so it's ongoing still uh, to what end you might ask I suppose um, for the sense of completeness I do think and I was talking to Frank Bonner about this uh, 
last week. I do think there's sort of a, he mentioned, I think, talking to you about uh, the political dimensions to this in terms of the file being sent originally to France, yeah. the Garda file in 2008. And I think there's also, that still persists in the sense that if you remember when, you know, the American was a year and a half ago, uh, Emmanuel Macron raised the issue. So I think there's a sense of um, consciousness of the fact that uh, there's a French expectation on this. Also, I think within the Garda Chicana, there's a, a sense, I guess, the impression that Drew Harris and the other senior officers want to carry this out to sort of repair whatever reputational damage was done to the Garda Chicana. And then the team itself, I think, are very committed to it and they're very uh, anxious to try and bring it as as okay. full a conclusion as they can, okay. notwithstanding the fact that the person whom they would acknowledge was the prime suspect has now died. But let's say that the Gardaí finish this cold case. They send it on to the DPP then, but normally what would happen then is the DPP would decide as to whether anybody should be uh, actually brought to court to answer for the crime, which certainly can't happen in the case of... No, it can't. I mean, I've read varying reports suggesting that DPP might give an indication uh, on receipt of the file and an assessment of it as to what their conclusions on it were. I've heard other reports of other cold case investigators now retired that that doesn't happen. So I'm not sure where that's going to lead ultimately, but I suppose in the sense of there's a... Obviously, the very fact we're talking about it now, there's a huge public appetite out there for uh, developments in the story and it's going to continue for some while. Uh, Hamlet may have left the stage, but the story continues, as it were, uh, with Odin Bailey and um, knowing him from my time dealing with him, um, I've no doubt that he'd probably be, uh, to some extent, enjoying the attention that he's still continuing to get after his death. Uh, Justin McCarthy had an interesting column in the Irish Times on Friday about that, saying that he could never resist having his name in the newspaper. And from my own dealings with him, he certainly was that, as Judge Petty Moran said back in the libel action, concluding the libel action in 2003, he said he certainly seems to be a man who likes publicity, likes the limelight, and um, I've no doubt that wherever he is now, uh, he would be, uh, I mean, there was been world war coverage on Monday, Tuesday, last week, and continuing work through the week of Sunday, yesterday, and we're back again today talking about it. So, yeah, it's um, it's a story that's got to run. And you know? do, does that cold case involve new, more modern DNA technology? There was talk of the block that was used being sent to America for uh, very advanced and up-to-date DNA testing. I, is that amongst the cold case? Yeah, I haven't heard had that confirmed. I've heard it. Um, certainly on Friday, what happened was Gardaí went in with a warrant and searched Ian Bailey's rented flat, or bedsit really, effectively, in Barry Street and Bantry. And amongst the things they seized there were, you know, personal hygiene items like combs and razors and so forth, so that they can get in more detailed... Uh, get a new DNA profile of him. Obviously, he gave a sample back in uh, 2000, sorry, 1996, stroke 97, mm-hmm. early 97, uh, gave her some hair samples, which Robert Sheen, in his uh, assessment for the DPP's office, he deemed that, that the fact, the fact that he was willing to give samples like then was objective proof of his innocence, which I think is a, a strange interpretation. Of things well, giving DNA, would, would that, yeah. I can kind of understand that, yeah. You give your DNA knowing that you have nothing to hide kind of thing. Yeah, but if you didn't give your DNA, true. Well, yeah, true. So what do they? What do they? So what do they? It, you know? What do they find? Because uh, in your copy for the Irish Times, somebody is quoted as saying, "There's a huge amount of stuff." He was a huge yeah, hoarder. Yeah, I mean, he, he threw nothing he out. 
that's my understanding that he was a huge hoarder through nothing out to the point that actually had kept cuttings of his articles from his time in the UK before he ever came to West Cork back in the 1980s he kept all those now I don't know how organised he was uh, in that regard so a huge amount of information of uh, cuttings there a lot of his diaries his writings and obviously he was the practising poet as he, as, he, as he said and uh, obviously there was a lot of scribblings there so they took notebooks um, cuttings um what else did they take? Sorry, they took his mobile phone, uh, his computer or his laptop, uh, various uh, USBs and other hard disk, hard disk storage devices. So there's a lot there. That, that all that electronic stuff will go to the uh, Computer Crime Investigation Unit, based in Ballincollig, for examination. The DNA samples taken from, or the items taken with the personal hygiene, the combs and razors, they'll be sent to Forensic Science Ireland so they can build up in your DNA profile. Apparently since 1996, back in 96, uh, DNA profiles, there were 11 factors or elements feeding into it. No, they have a test that can uh, identify 17, so obviously things have advanced in that sense. The, the critical thing from a forensic point of view is the quality of the samples taken at the, at the scene of the crime. A contaminated the crime scene, of course. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was the critical thing, say, for example, in the uh, the no long conviction last year for the murder of um, Nora Sheehan. It was the fact that certain samples were preserved from 1982 and well preserved and there was uh, continuity in terms of preservation of chain of evidence. So that's important in this. It's the quality that's taken at first, first day is going to be critical. So that's going to be one thing in terms of whatever advances there are in technology and uh, DNA forensics and so forth. And I mean, we're at a certain point now, but who's to say that in five years' time you can build up a profile from an even smaller sample or something like that? Mm. I mean, it's changed over the years, obviously. Um, mm. Because uh, certainly I think since the Nolan case, it was low copy. The number of technology was able to them to build up a profile at Dr. Jonathan Whitaker for principal forensic science in the UK was critical in that case. But So that's one thing, the DNA, the notebooks, they left quite a lot of stuff then. They had a huge collection of CDs, uh, music and things like that. Wood carvings, uh, things like that, yeah. And wood carvings, yeah. John Cairns goes into great detail about the wood carvings and his feet in the mirror, I think, on Saturday or yeah. Sunday. I'll talk with him later, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. yeah. he, he, he yeah. obviously got to see some of the diaries, I guess, did he? Oh, I presume he has. He has stuff in the paper today about uh, Bailey's sexual fantasies and things like that. So yeah. I presume he must yeah. have, uh, Bailey must have shared them with him or something. I'm not sure. I mean, there were evidence in the libel action uh, I'm not sure they went into the same detail that John Cairns does but it's there and you can read them uh, about uh, Bailey's sexual uh, fantasies and so forth mm-hmm. um, and then his regret about the assaults and Jews as well which he mentioned um, so that was Friday as I say the um, guardy went in they went in at 5 sorry uh, uh, 9am and they were there until 5 collecting stuff taking away in evidence bags and boxes and they were brought first of all to the incident room that's been set up in Bantry Garda Station okay. and from there then they'll, as I said the computer and electronic stuff will be sent to serious crime uh, or sorry to the computer crime investigation unit in Ballon Is there a particular reason why this would have happened after his death and, and not beforehand I'm wondering? Uh, my hunch is that they were waiting to gather everything they could uh, in the full review of the of the, the the investigation and then if he was still as it seems to be in the case that he was still the prime suspect then they would have gone to him yeah. and put that to him uh, and similarly in the course of uh, probably with an, an arrest I'd imagine uh, at some stage on the road and at that point then they would have I don't think they were expecting like uh, we know he'd had the two heart attacks but I don't think anybody was expecting him to 
passed away so suddenly mm. uh, as last week. So that's why it was. That's why it happened. No, is it were as opposed to before? That would be my read on it, but I couldn't say that. And wasn't the cremation the, 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 a very quiet event on Tuesday? I believe just uh, an undertaker oh, yeah, cremation staff. That was it. I mean, it was, it was like for a man who lived his life in the, the limelight, someone that enjoyed living his life in the limelight, I would imagine that would have been very difficult for him, yeah. that there wasn't a media in attendance, that it wasn't being um, broadcast or uh, reported on. So it really happened, and I gather, I haven't seen it, but I think from Buttermore said that he'd have gone himself if he'd known, but it happened before uh, he was even aware of it, that it was early Tuesday morning, mm-hmm. my understanding is that mm-hmm. his remains were collected from the Morgan Bantry General Hospital by a firm of undertakers and Kerry, brought to the island crematorium in uh, Ring City on Rocky Island there for nine o'clock and it was um, and it wasn't even described as a a private ceremony it was described as a private event Mm. in the statement issued by um, Mm. by Frank Butmer on behalf of uh, Ian Bailey's sister Kay Reynolds uh, who remained in the UK for it she'd come over for the High court case and giving evidence on his behalf. Yeah, I know. But well, uh, and that, yeah. she had stayed um, in that. She'd said they'd visited her husband and her children had visited Ian uh, when he lived in the Prairie and Skull back in the day. But um, and I think he said in his podcast that they'd met relatively recently in Dublin. But um, she had she didn't come over for the funeral. Yeah. There are some suggestions I think of a funeral service in the UK. But Frank Portman said he wasn't aware of any such plans yeah. at this stage for that. So it was a very um, Oh, and I put it very quiet. Sort of sad end for the guy, really. Totally. Oh, absolutely, totally. Um, you know, and and no, he was a hugely divisive figure in terms of uh, people's perceptions of him. Where Cork and probably understand and remain and remains even more so now after his passing, passing because it gives people more opportunity to to comment themselves. But um, for an accurate catalogue of events up to date, Barry, thank you so much for taking the call. You're a gent. Do appreciate a Barry Road Southern correspondent with the Irish Times. We're back after ten. Our phone lines are open on 0818-104-106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Well, the story is making the news. Actually, I didn't have enough time there uh, in the last hour to go through them, but there was a very disturbing one that made the UK Times at uh, the back end of last week, um, and it has to do with uh, motoring offences that lead to death. In fact, there was two of them uh, that I read over the weekend. One was a man who was told on numerous occasions by his doctor that his driving was so bad that he shouldn't be driving a car but continued to do so uh, knocked down and killed two people in the UK he got jailed for that uh, and uh, this would be a man who'd be no spring chicken either but the second one then had to do with you know the things you have hanging off your rear view mirror in the case of this court case it was a furry dice and an air freshener that were hanging from the rear view mirror and it was obscuring the vision of the motorist Uh, because they were hanging down so low that literally could not see the entire road in front of them because the furry dye is going back and forth and the big air freshener. So he is about to go to jail for three years, pleaded guilty to causing the death by careless driving uh, of a woman, uh, a widower. Um, uh, A lady by the name of Maria Clayton suffered multiple injuries and died in hospital where the driver's vision was obscured by a furry dye and uh, an air freshener. And and then there's another one. I was reading in the Telegraph of the weekend. I wonder if people are noticing the amount of self-serve checkouts that are there now. Um, I was recently down at uh, a Super Value where there recently a big one that always had lots and lots and lots of checkouts where there was always somebody uh, behind the till and, you know, your stuff went along on the conveyor of a belt and it got bagged and you paid an individual. I was down in the same Super Value recently and... Pretty much all of the 
old-fashioned checkouts have gone and been replaced with the digital ones, the self-service ones. But there is um, an online petition in the UK now demanding that the major supermarkets stop replacing people with machines. Um, And it hasn't been up all that long, but it's already attracted over a quarter of a million signatures. But what's interesting about this is the article in in the Telegraph is saying that there's more shoplifting now from people using the self-serve checkouts. Um, And some of it has to do with the protest about being asked to check out your own groceries, your own items. They're saying that some people would be well off enough not to have to rob, but are robbing anyway because they're so annoyed about the self-service checkouts. And the things uh, that are high-ticket items are stuff like uh, smoked salmon or exotic cheeses. So more people are robbing from the self-service checkouts and some of it in protest by all accounts um, there you have it uh, I, I, I don't particularly like them I mean they can be very handy if you have a few items I get that you don't want to be queuing up behind somebody who's got a big shopping trolley you can go and scan but I think ultimately we probably will have less checkout staff working in supermarkets and everything will be automated and I think to some extent that's kind of sad with regards to the art of conversation it's bad enough with mobile phones now. There's all sorts of surveys out saying that we are rearing a generation of young people that will have very bad memories. Um, The ability to recall, to actually remember things because they're 24-7 pretty much stuck in their mobile phones. Never mind the fact that they will lose the art uh, of conversation. Anyway, your thoughts on that? Text 0868104106. Can I just ask you, with regards to shops and supermarkets, and this is somewhat nostalgic, if you don't mind, just ahead of the ad break. I was also reading at the weekend that in the UK, it looks as if Woolworths will make a return uh, to UK high streets. And of course, we had a Woolworths on Patrick Street for many, many years. Now, bargain prices for sure in Woolworths, where you get everything from uh, a needle uh, to an anchor and everything in between. Well, maybe not quite that, but you know what I mean. But it also had the pick and mix sweets when you went in the front door of Woolworths, these long trestle tables just full with loads and loads of different varieties of sweets and you could help yourself. All too often as kids, we did just that. We helped ourselves. But if you could bring back any one shop to Cork, what would it be? We were chatting about it earlier on this morning and I guessed that, say, for instance, uh, Kevin and indeed Rory would bring back Football Crazy, run by Mr. Football himself, Tony Hellesy, because they're sports fanatics. Um, Norman Pratt was the man behind that shop, wasn't he? A lovely, lovely guy as well. So I'm right in that regard. That's what you'd pick, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. How is Tony Hennessy? Is he still... Is he's he still... still I'm, I'm, I haven't spoke to him in quite a while, but it seems like he's still... He's nice still, guy. Oh, such a nice guy. And such a great a nice soccer player, player in Yeah, was a, was a trainee with Arsenal back in the day. Um, very talented soccer player, very lo- lovely guy. Played at all levels in Cork. So and that was a good question to ask. Shop. If people could bring back any one shop yeah. that's gone, and God knows many are gone, what would it be? I th- and I think that's the thing, like Tony's shop was one of those shops where you could, like if you wanted, it was the only place you could get certain things. And that's what town for me used to be when I was young. I used to be, I used to go into town to get the things I couldn't get in the big shops. So I'd love to see some of those shops come back into okay. the city. You know? Let's throw it out there, the maybe put ones. it up on social tonight, see people, people say. Well, if you could bring back one, if you had a magic wand, you could bring back one shop, what would it be that you really, really miss? Uh, while many close, just a quick show. Shout out to the uh, people behind um, Fish 
It's a new fancy seafood takeaway just open on McCartan Street. It's all very well to be talking about the guns that are closing, but good to talk about the ones that are opening. And it's a former spot of the, uh, the fishwife on McCartan Street. And the people behind it are Jerome Williamson, Chris Prinsloo, and the great eco-owner himself, Dave Halpin Jr. So best of luck, lads, with that one. Text or WhatsApp Neil now. 0868-104-106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. And I get to text in a few minutes' time, but do keep your comments coming. Text 0868-104-106. We know about the cold case investigation by Angarda Shikana. Barry Roach covered that for the Irish Times. Uh, John Kearns is in many of the tabloids this morning, makes the front of this morning's uh, Irish Mirror with regards to uh, Ian Bailey diaries uh, and his obsessions over sex. He talks about sex in the diaries a lot apparently. He talks a lot about his love affair with drugs and his love affair with alcohol. Um, But uh, John Kearns has said that Ian Bailey was on a kamikaze mission and that he knew that he was going to die and he knew that he didn't have long to live. Uh, John Kearns joins me by phone. John, good morning. Uh, so, uh, pardon me. Can you hear me? You're there now, John. Apologies. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I can hear you perfectly. Let me let me just pick. I'll come to the diaries in a moment. But why do you say that he was on a kamikaze mission and knew well, that the spo- end was? Yeah, I, I would have spoken to Ian Bailey a lot um, over the past uh, um, three or four years. Hello. Did he say that to you though? That he knew? That oh, the he club- did. Well, I, t- I tell you exactly. I would have had a series of conversations with him. Um, you know, I, every every few weeks, every week or two, whether he would ring me or I would ring him, or he'd ring me up to see, yeah, you know, how to hear that and what was going on with the case, and uh, and often he would just ring up random uh, for a chat because this was a very very lonely guy with absolutely no friends in the world, uh, apart from maybe Jim Sheridan. Um, Frank Baltimore and and a couple of people on Jim Sheridan's team who were involved in making of the documentary, and um, more at the Sophie, uh, the the uh, the her fight for justice. Um, but I would have spoken to him a lot, and, and I would have had a series of conversations, especially through the autumn and the winter. I mean, he actually rang me when he had his first heart attack from the hospital to let me know and said to me, well, this might be a story for you. Hmm. So he was in recovery, and he actually rang me, I think, the, uh, the, the next day and let me know, and I broke the story. You know, so this is an example of a man so. who always wanted to be in the limelight and to be in the like, media. This, this, yeah, this was a guy who always liked to be in the night in limelight and liked having his name being in the media and liked being spoken about. But like following his his, his heart, you know, he had his first heart attack and his second heart attack, and and the doctors told him that he had to kind of clear up, clean up his act in terms of stop smoking, stop drinking, because they couldn't uh, carry out a life saving operation on him uh, because uh, of the state of his health and deterioration of his heart condition. So Bailey did make an effort for. Several weeks to trying to clear up his change his lifestyle, yeah. you say. But then he kind of gave kind of gave up the ghost reading and just went back smoking and bark drinking. And he knew he knew he was dying. I mean, I had a number of conversations with him, and he said it to me that he didn't think he was going to be around a hell of a lot more. And he said it to me, you know, I just want you to make sure that you know that if and when I do die, they just tell people that I didn't do it. And he kept saying this on and off. And I also had a real interesting conversation when he asked me, because he used to say he'd, he'd often pray, and then he'd ask me, did I think there was a God, and, and did I think there was an afterlife? And I said, well, I, I, I believe in it. And, and, you know, he said to me, well, well, I sincerely hope so. 
you know. Mm. And mm. he would I would have spoken to him. Uh, he would have rang me over the Christmas period, but I, I didn't get speaking to him then because I was away abroad with my daughter. So when I came back, I spoke to him. And one of the last conversations I had with him was a couple of weeks ago. And like he still said his health was what it was. But he knew, like, he did say that he knew he wasn't in great shape and he found it difficult to walk. And he didn't think he had a lot of time left. And that is true, you know. You say, though, you, you, you say... Said, and he would have said it to Jim Sheridan as well. Yeah, yeah. You, you, but you say, and I, and I know that his lifestyle gravely impacted on his health. However, his mental health also, that would have been a lot of stress, obviously, that he huge, would have been carrying and, and worry. You, you say that the word from the top brass and the cops was that there was going to be an arrest shortly. Uh, are you implying an arrest of him? Yeah. The, the, the whole cold case investigation was moving in one direction and one direction only. It never looked at anybody else. It was looking at Ian Beatty. You know, and everybody who was originally interviewed, they went through all the files. They hadn't gone near Ian Beatty because they were leaving him to last. Right, and and he was. I mean, that they were looking. I mean, the guards took a few that they got convictions uh, on the basis of circumstantial evidence in the Graham Gore case, and there was one or two other cases as well. And and uh, that you know, uh, they thought that they'd have chance that if he was charged this time, that they would get a secure conviction and there'd be enough evidence against him in terms of circumstantial. Do you evidence. think that that remember, worry impacted on his so, health then so much so I, I that think, I think it had a huge impact on his health, and he knew the Gardner investigation was moving and hit towards him and that they weren't really looking at anybody else except him and he knew that so the stress was building up I also think that the split from Jules Jules uh, had a big his partner had a big effect of him because she kind of really looked after him from a lifestyle point of view in many many ways so when he was living on his own he was really a mess like I mean he he, he had that apartment in, in, in Bantry but he slept he didn't even sleep in the bed he slept on the couch with his feet on, on uh, and he's a tall big man mm. and he, he had uh, pallets at the end of the, at, at the end of the couch and had his feet up on it and everything there all his journals his notebook everything was in the one room there you know, mm. and he had pictures of himself uh, as a kid, pictures of himself, modeling pictures, all that kind of thing. But I think the stress had a huge impact on his health. But look, he, you know, he, he was on a kamikaze mission in terms of the drinking and the smoking. He was told he had a seriously bad heart condition and he didn't stop and he just kept going. And I think in the end, he, he was bet. You know, he was really bad. He said to me that this uh, Sophie de Plantier case and his association with Hormora had absolutely destroyed his life in every sense. Why do you think that and when he had, he had loads of opportunities over the years um, that he just didn't leave the country and start afresh overseas? Did you ever dwell on that? Well, I always often dwell on why he didn't do it, you know, why he didn't go and, and leave the country. But he... You know, it takes a long time. He spent his whole life proclaiming his innocence. You know, now, whether he, he did or not, I, I can't tell you. I don't know. I'm only a journalist. How, how do journalists know? We don't know. You know, to, to me, it's all about the evidence and following the evidence. He, you know, I genuinely, he always maintained he didn't do it. I'm not saying he's in, maybe he did do it. I've no idea. You know, I really don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, yeah. my own instinct kind of says in many ways, I couldn't, I kind of, think he, 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 in some senses that he, he wouldn't have had the actual kind of balls to do it if you pardon the expression right because he was one of those people who'd be all talk and then if somebody gave him a slap he'd run a mile he wouldn't fight back yeah, and but, but but we must only hold on to one thing, really, in his defence, and uh, and that is yeah. innocent and proven guilty. guilty. But 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 if there was new evidence coming down the track, perhaps there is new evidence coming. Um, well, and, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know what 
new, new evidence is, you know. I mean, the Gardaí have like 20 over 20 fingerprints from the house and, and the crime scene on the lane and that are still unidentified, different fingerprints. Uh, there was They have had the Ian Bailey's DNA from the get-go, but they've never been able to match it with any of the DNA that was removed from the scene. But you must remember, to be fair to the guards, you know, you look at 27 years ago, it was different times then than now. Nowadays, you know, they've got forensic teams coming in, they've got senior crimes people. Uh, the crime scenes are completely secured from the get-go now. It kind of wasn't the case then. You know, there were different times to be fair to the guards on it. Yeah, and, you know? and, and I'm assuming that everything, was, the, the last one was seriously flawed and botched however, but yeah, I'm, I'm, and, and we must work on the premise that everything being done since and this new cold case is yeah. 100% accurate and not tainted. Absolutely. But, but even Absolutely. if there were new, new evidence, there would be some people that just wouldn't believe it as being new evidence. Do you know what I mean? It's like the whole thing is tainted now, totally. Uh, well, you can say, you can say that the whole investigation was kind of tainted from the get go. So it all depends. I mean, I was hoping that the guards were going to approach this with a, a hoping, a complete open mind. But maybe they have, you know, and look at various other suspects. I mean, when they started the investigation, they had fifty four suspects, and then it was within weeks it was just narrowed down to one and to Ian Bailey and nobody else. Yeah, you know, and and the family won't hear or tell of anyone else. But Ian Bailey like didn't do himself any favors over the years by keeping himself in the limelight by, you know, going out having a serious drink problem by making confessions to people, which he you know saying that he did it and then claiming it was dark humor. You know, all these things didn't help. Right, and they didn't, and he didn't help himself in many ways, you know. Okay, and, and he's an extremely eccentric character, you know, and he is very, very difficult to like. And then there's another side of him that is extremely charming and polite, you know. But he, you know, he does have a, a history there of, of violence against his former partner and another ex woman, and and that certainly didn't help his case. But you know, I think look, he was a very, very sad individual in the end, and I think one way or the other, the whole boredom and the accusations against against them. You know, it killed them one way or the other. It killed them mm. in the end. There's absolutely no doubt about mm. that. And he was definitely beat, and he definitely had given up the ghost at this stage. He didn't, I think, when he knew the guards were going to come after him again, you know, uh, I, I, I think the kind of, he just gave up altogether. And tell me the, the significance of, because you talk extensively in the Mirror this morning, about his diaries. The Mirror called them his sex diaries. Have Have you seen content of these diaries? No, no, did they, uh, what we're talking about was all these diaries that were seized um, that were used in the libel case um, uh, and were all his writings that were seized and uh, in the original searches in the house over 20, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. I've seen, I've seen about 25 different pages of those diaries of what he wrote in them in that time and they all related to all his um, sexual fantasies etc uh, and what he wanted to do and what he didn't want to do and he kept a lot of notes he spoke at length about his attack on Jules Thomas and how much he regretted that and there was about 20 I've seen about at least 20 different pages of it they were all a matter of court record they were used in the libel trial they were there on the files for that libel case that I would have been involved in um, in uh, 2004 down in Cork in which Bailey lost most papers but unfortunately the Mirror and the Sun uh, uh, he uh, he won against us, but you know, and we were done for libel, um, and we were ended up with a lot of costs, 
you know. So I wouldn't have had a, a very friendly relationship yeah. really with the yeah. lady over the years. It would have been very much a love-hate relationship, I can tell you. But those but, diaries uh, never, never actually, one would think that in your private diaries that you might say something about something no, like nothing, the Tuscan. Yeah. He wrote extensively about the attack of Jules Thomas and about his sexual fantasies and his sex exploits and various women he was a, you also remember this guy was a very handsome man in his day like he was a good looking bloke you know in his day going back uh, you know 20-30 years and he's talking about all the various different lovers he had in Dublin and West Cork in Manchester in London um, I mean he was working as a journalist and you know he goes into very very extensive detail like you know why anybody would want to write down their own thoughts and you know sexual conquests and everything it is beyond me but mm-hmm. for whatever reason he decided to do that and I'm, I've absolutely no doubt in, the, in all the diaries and journals that the Gardaí have seized in, in recent days they will, they'll find a lot of that and they'll also find he, he, he also had a habit of writing down things about people who he detested he would if he was angry he'd write about people who were his enemies and he would write it down in his notebook and that's what he would do mm. and you know there was various people he's written about and I'm sure the guards are going to come across this and there's going to be extensive reading for them uh, over the coming weeks and months ahead but one thing I don't think I don't think they'll find a confession from Ian Bailey that he killed Sophie de Pladier. If they do, I'll be absolutely astonished. But if they don't come up with any new evidence that would implicate him or find him guilty of the crime, surely, innocent until proven guilty, and no evidence to put him in the frame, means that this, over since 1996, has been one of the greatest witch hunts ever against an well, innocent man. Great, one of the witch hunts and one of the greatest of miscarriages of justice when you think that he was tried in absentia and found guilty in France and sentenced to 25 years in prison. So there's absolutely no doubt about that. You know, it's, it's a huge, you know, witch hunt. Uh, and if it turns out that somebody else did it and it wasn't him at all, you know, well, then a lot of people are going to have to hang their heads, heads in shame because there's a lot of journalists who've gone out there and think they're police officers and absolutely hung, they've hung Ian Bailey out to dry with absolutely, you know, very real hard evidence. Mm. And I think one of the things that Ian Bailey was into was that there was a lot of journalists and uh, commentators, particularly so-called commentators and authors who have made, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people have made a lot of money out of the case in terms of podcasts, books, books. Uh, documentaries, Netflix, all the rest of it, right? And he resented the fact that everybody was making money out of this except him because he didn't have a shilling and he was living off social welfare and selling his few books and poems if he sold any and wood carvings that he did, etc. And, he, you know, he didn't make any money and he He's resented that. It, yeah. And he, he was very bitter about it. And also it's because he, he was really kind of living in, in squalor, really, in the end. And, and, and that really, really annoyed him. And, you know, all these people, you know, uh, who think they're, 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 they're police officers, and I'm not a police officer, and I can't say, you know, mm. I, I, my, my, my job as a journalist is to retur- report the facts as, as, I, as I find them and, and stand them up and, and know them. It's not my job, job to go and be, you know, be, to be judge and jury mm. of somebody, mm. you know, without hearing all the evidence and all the facts. And that's the job for the guards and for the DP. DPP, you know, and to the credit of the DPP, they never actually charged Ian Bailey. But I think the French case did a huge amount of damage to him, that trial in absentia. And some of the evidence, by the way, was appalling that was heard. I mean, there was one French officer gave evidence there saying that he was told by an Irish Garda that Ian Bailey did it. So, you know, there was a criminologist who'd never met Ian Bailey, who did a whole psychological analysis of Ian Bailey, who'd never met him, a French criminologist uh, or psychologist 
and that was used as evidence. And, and, and accepted in court as being fact. Court. And yeah. that was accepted in court. Yeah. And that, this stuff wouldn't be accepted in, in, in an Irish court in, in a month of Sundays. Yeah. Yes. Just sorry, it, it just wouldn't happen, yes. you know. And, and the DPP didn't press charges against Ian Bailey because they, they felt, rightly or wrongly, at that time, that there wasn't enough uh, evidence. So Ian was right to be bitter and angry at all at these various people, uh, particularly you know so-called commentators uh, who kind of piggybacked in this case yeah. to make yeah. a name for themselves. Yeah. And he was right about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. As always, John. Thanks for the update. Do appreciate it. Uh, John Kearns writing extensively in the tabloids this morning, particularly in the. Um, Irish Mirror. Just as a final note on this, uh, move from one journalist to another. I did read at the weekend, Lara Marlowe in the Irish Times. Um, and this this kind of, uh, in, if, you, if you just bear with me for maybe two minutes, uh, it, it kind of revisits an awful lot of the relevant facts um, down through the last you know, 25 years or so. Uh, she would have been the, uh, and I'm open to correction on this, but I believe she probably was the at the time maybe the French correspondent for the Irish Times based in Paris. Uh, and would have covered the the French trial in absentia. She says, and I I just read from parts of her article of the weekend, put things in perspective for you. I crossed paths with him twice in Bantry in 2007 in the open-air market in Skibbereen. In 2009, where the local wags down west were saying he sold pizza to die for. Uh, she goes on to say um, um, that there was. Uh, she she dwells then on December twenty second, nineteen ninety six, um, where she says um, after consuming copious amounts of stout and whiskey on the night of December twenty second, nineteen ninety six, Bailey disappeared for several hours from the bed he shared with Jules Thomas, his partner for more than thirty years. She would initially say that when he returned the next morning, he had a bleeding wound on his forehead and scratches on his hands and arms. Remarks she later withdrew, but which other witnesses corroborated. He said the injuries were caused by cutting down a Christmas tree and killing turkeys. Um, Lara Marlowe says, Toscan de Plantier had run through the brambles below her house while her killer pursued her. Gardy assumed the murderer would have similar scratches. Three days after the murder, two witnesses saw Bailey burning clothes in a bonfire in Jules Thomas's garden. A hatchet head was found in the ashes. Toscan de Plantier's family said she kept a hatchet by the back door to chop wood and for self-protection. They believe the missing hatchet inflicted the bleeding wound on Bailey's forehead. At the December 2003 libel trial, which Jumbo Kearns mentioned, at least six witnesses said Bailey told them he had killed Toscan de Plantier. They reiterated their testimony at the 2019 trial in Paris, and Irish officials dismissed those testimonies as hearsay. You will recall um, that uh, Ian Bailey would have described those so-called confessions, in inverted commas, as black humour. Helen Callanan, the former news editor at the Sunday Tribune, um, actually published articles written by Bailey about the murder, said that he said to her, uh, it was me, I did it, I killed her, I did it to resurrect my career. Uh, Maliki Reid was 14 years old when Bailey picked him up hitchhiking shortly after the murder and Reid asked Bailey how his work was going. Bailey said, fine, until I went up there with a rock and bashed her effing brains in. Reid also testified that. Uh, one year after the murder, Richie and Rose, Rosie Shelley spent New Year's Eve with Bailey and uh, Jules Thomas. Richie Shelley testified that Bailey spent most of the night discussing the murder of Toscan de Plantier. He put his arms around me and said, I did it, I did it. Then I asked him, you did what? He said, I went too far. Shelley's account of that conversation was confirmed by his wife. 
Bill Fuller, a gardener, working worked with Bailey before the murder when he confronted Bailey about rumours that he had killed Toscan de Plantier. Bailey spoke of himself in the second person, saying, You did it. You saw her in Spire on a Saturday. You saw her walking up the aisle with her tight arse and you fancied her. You went up there to see what you could get. She ran off screaming. You chased her to calm her down. You stirred something in the back of your head. You went too far. You had to finish her off. Laura Marlowe goes on to say, Bailey lied about having met Toscan de Plantier. These were other damning accounts, having met her before the murder, and about the time of his arrival at the scene of the crime. He included in his newspaper reports details which only the killer could have known. Uh, Peter Belecki, a neighbour, testified in the 2003 libel trial that Bailey had told them that he assaulted his former wife, Sarah Limbrick. He was physically abusive to Jules Thomas, once hospitalising her. It was Bilecki who took Jules Thomas to hospital in 96 and he testified Jules was curled up in an almost fetal position at the foot of the bed and was making these terrible animal noises. She had some hair in her hands. Her eye was purple and there was blood coming out of her eye. Her face had gouges in it and she had teeth marks on her arm. Bilecki said, it was the most appalling thing I've ever witnessed. And they're just some of the paragraphs from a lengthy article written by uh, Laura Marlowe in the Irish Times at the weekend, some of the evidence uh, that the Gardaí, of course, would have taken very seriously um, and those people that supposedly had heard confessions from Bailey uh, down through the years, which were taken very seriously in the French trial in Abstancia. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Call Neil now. 0818104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. On the taxi driver mugged on uh, Friday night. Uh, interesting text on that. Surely there's a national taxi fund for victims of crime uh, until they go back to work. I hope that that taxi driver makes a 100% recovery. Uh, that poor taxi driver and what he's experienced, if, and I say if, the guards muster up the will to catch these criminals when they get them before the courts, the solicitor, uh, who is bleeding the taxpayer on free legal aid, will have all sorts of sob stories, addiction issues, abuse issues, broken home issues, problematic home issues, blah, 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 blah. The judge will buy into the rubbish and give a suspended sentence or a free pass. The taxi man is then the only one at a loss. It's not the guard's fault, don't get me wrong, but the judges to allow criminals roam the streets amongst us. Our ministers are letting us down. They're afraid to upset the PC lunatics by passing tougher sentences. Uh, Welcome back, Neil. Awful what happened to the taxi driver. Why, oh why, is it not mandatory now for all cabs to be adapted, like in the UK and the USA? I do not know the answer to that. Blue in the face, though, I am asking it myself. Um, I'm sorry about the taxi driver, but why are all these men pensioners? I don't understand the relevance of that. That you would have somebody, are you saying that somebody who's in their 70s isn't entitled to work as a private citizen or that they shouldn't be taxi drivers in their 70s? That's rather ageist. And then another one that isn't necessarily ageist, but it fits into some kind of a character. Uh, There is no such thing as non-binary. Someone either has a penis or a vagina. It's simple as that. Why or why do you, Neil, go along with all of this BS says Frank. Very keen to talk to you on air, Frank. Happy enough to read out your text. You asked me that question. Well, it's, it's out of respect, really. Respect for the person who wants to identify as non-binary. It has absolutely zero impact on my life. Uh, I mean, I would have maybe a little bit of a different opinion if it were a three or a four-year-old child 
um, say a three or a four year old boy being sent to a girl's school and been told don't say that you're male say that you're female I mean that may be um, you know a bit more of an issue to me but an adult who wants to present as non-binary where they identify as no sex at all it's none of my concern if that's the way they want to live their life I respect that hoping that that answers your question anyway text 0868104106 and then from earlier on this morning about the ever increasing amount of people something in the region nearly 70% of people prefer to watch sport from their sofa settee or couch there's now a very big expense in attending a match. Ticket prices and travel costs have increased significantly, not to mention the cost of getting something to eat and to drink and transport to and from. Thank you for that. You might remember that it made the papers last week that Arsenal fans were outraged after a Gunners fan posted a photo on social of a steak sandwich with chips and onion rings that cost him £27 with a drink. That is absolutely insane. Without wanting to harp on about my holidays or anything like that, I was in Thailand. I can talk all day about that if you want. Um, And I may at some stage. But one of the stopovers was in Dubai where we got a coffee, a mint tea and one croissant to share in Dubai airport. And it cost us the equivalent of 22 euro. I mean, you couldn't make that stuff up. Now, a cup of coffee and a cup of tea and one croissant could cost 22 euro, but it did. Uh, I used to love taking Aaron to matches in Dublin. We could stay in the Ballsbridge Hotel for two nights, get the match tickets and dinner for about 500 euro. Now it's well over a grand for one night in a hotel. It is too much to take the train as well. Way too much hassle for a 90-minute game. So our couch is our new stadium for free. I'd get a holiday overseas for a grand. You would. And you know something? As we head into the spring, TG, and then into the summertime, you are going to have serious trouble trying to get yourself a hotel in Ireland because so many of them have gone and have flipped to refugees. That, of course, is another topic where you're going to be paying big money for hotel bedrooms this summer. There's so few of them, and you know the way it works. Supply and demand, when there's less to go around, you'll end up paying a hell of a lot more. Text 0868 Back to the phone lines, we go. John, good morning. Morning, you're welcome back. Th- thanks for holding, appreciate it. I hope this phone line is okay. You wanted to pick up on one of the points that I made with either um, Barry Roach or Jumbo Cairns regarding the cold case, is it? Yeah, look, um, I was a bit concerned, I think, like a lot of other people with this uh, invasion of his flat stone in Bantry. Um, to me, it was akin to grave robbing. The man was having dead five minutes. Why couldn't they do this, like, I mean, before he died? Now, we are told that the court case was put together recently and they intended getting to him anyway, right? But I don't know, I find it concerning. The fact is that uh, they didn't get to him earlier, that the minute the man was dead, they were breaking down. No, well, not but no, no, they weren't there. breaking down anything, John. They had no, a warrant. Yeah, All of this was properly yeah, done. That's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, okay. And the thing is that they had the warrant, right? Why couldn't they have got the warrant sooner? I mean, they didn't. And it just, uh, I don't know, it unsettles me, I'll Did be honest with you, like, because look, the dogs in the street, as against the guards are concerned. They fingered Ian Bailey from day one. Now, was Ian Bailey a nice person? No, he wasn't. Was he a, a, a domestic abuser? Yes, he was. Was he an artist? Yes, he was. Was he up his own room or what? Mm. Yes, he was. All of those. 
But all of those doesn't do more their own make. No. He wasn't a nice person. He beat up his partner, which is horrific, the whole lot, right? And she stuck with him, and then she, she left. But that doesn't mean that he killed it, so if he just found the plant here. But that family over in France were led by the Gambi, giving the impression from day one that this was the main man, this was the suspect, and that family to this day still believe that. Why? Because they were told by the guards who they trusted. And I said to friends of mine there, when he died, I said, watch, you know, something's going to kick off. And the problem is now, you see, Neil, they'll have to work twice as hard now. As long as Ian Bailey was alive, he got the guards off the hook. But now that Bailey is gone now, they have to work their ass off now to prove that either he was 100% guilty or there was somebody else in the frame. Now, I personally think that Sophie will never get justice. I think Bailey will never get justice to prove whether he was innocent or guilty. There was some talk. Was there was some talk. Yeah. Um, I was reading while I was away that the Gardaí were slow to um, move while he was alive. No, that they were slow to move earlier than this because the guards, no one knew that Bailey was going to die. That they were, were they wanted to put new evidence to him, the possibility of new evidence to in Bailey, but they wanted everything to be in order because they were afraid that having put the new evidence to him, he would go on social media and he would go to the media and he would tell everybody what the new evidence was. And that could impact their investigation. The convenience, uh, like if they had no evidence, why did they feel that they had to get a search warrant and go through all this stuff and take stuff away? You see, Bailey was gone. Frank Bottomer was no longer uh, his protector, and the guards knew that. They said it was open season, and no, it's a terrible thing if you think of it. Like you think of the Birmingham Six or the Guildford Four, what they went through. It was an awful thing that happened to Sophie, but also equally an awful thing if a man had to suffer that. Uh, a guilt hanging over him and if he had no part in the horrific Oh absolutely, thing. if it's ever actually yeah. proven who murdered Sophie Toscan de Plantier and it wasn't Ian Bailey, then the greatest yeah. travesty of justice ever was committed against yeah. the man I mean, that, that is actually the stress of it possibly, you know, and his lifestyle, and the reason his lifestyle was so chaotic with drinking and smoking, obviously it was just him hanging over him. Every time you walk, could you imagine you walk on the side of the door every day and people looking at you, and you know, you can't hear what they're saying, but you know when you look in their face, they saying, oh, there's Bailey, there's a murderer. You know, and that went on for years and years and years and years. That does take yeah. its toll. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. To be, like, I mean, the thing is, look, there was loads of theories around about Frenchmen and, and other people. The, 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 the crime scene, as your previous country would have said, was trampled all over. Harvest and uh, the state pathologist was at a function the night before, so he couldn't travel because he, he was possibly enjoying himself that night. Mm. He couldn't come down. There was no assistant, right? The scene was trampled completely. I mean, so, I mean, like, from day one, I mean, the whole thing was chaotic. You, but you think, just, just finally, just to recap, you think that searching the flat at this time was in bad taste? I, I, I would put it into the grave robbing. Like, I think they took the opportunity. He was gone, and, and his, his main protector, Frank Bottomer, couldn't protect, I mean, his memory, then, like, or stop and do right. what they did. Okay. I just find it too convenient that they'd done it like the minute the man died. Okay, thanks as always. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Come back to text, I promise, uh, throughout the course of the next hour. So keep them coming. Text 0868 I have a WhatsApp line, actually. Will I go with it? And I think I'm okay with that. No, okay, I'll come back to it. Here, Here is a short clip, and I've got a massive response to Bambi Thug uh, being the Irish entry for Eurovision with the song uh, Doomsday Blue. This is just a short clip of it, about 35 seconds. I'll play it at length tomorrow when I get to an opportunity to talk to 
Uh, Bambi Thunk. Okay. <laughs> To be honest with you, I had been told in advance, and then I was sent the audio of it, um, it was words to the effect of, oh no, you're never going to believe what the Irish entry sounds like. You were going to have a listen to it yourself. We happen to hope. And then I did listen to it, and then I watched the video clip of the Late Late Show performance, and I have to say, I like it, and I like it a lot. Your vision has moved, and we need to move with the times. Anyway, well, if you can't beat them, Neil, join them. That's what your vision wants, and this could be our winner. Bambi is a talented singer and very creative. We have to change with the times. I really like it and I am of an older generation when I first heard Dana sing all kinds of everything which was an amazing song but times and things have changed so much we just have to go with the flow that really sums it up for me as well you're pretty much saying what I think also uh, with regards to having to move with it we've qualified for the final once in the last 10 years with the same rinse and repeat solo pop girl or the same Louis Wodge boy band it's making us a laughing stock Neil the song is modern it will appeal to a lot of Europe and we've been so behind the times with our song selection that it's bordering on ridiculous now we've finally picked someone who is fresh unique and original And if anything, even if we don't win, we have the chance to qualify now because the song won't be forgotten like every other song we've sent in the last 10 years. Absolutely. I think we are in for a big surprise. I'm not saying we could win, but I tell you one thing, we'll certainly get out of qualifiers. Of that, you can be sure. Now, just uh, quickly, just before 11 o'clock, I mentioned earlier on this morning that the Gardaí are investigating these three men who flagged down a taxi um, on Patrick Street Friday night assaulted the taxi driver because they had a knife uh, and he put up his hand to defend himself and grabbed the knife and it ended up slashing his hand. Now, they then legged it way out Rappiquenway and took the taxi and left him there. Taxi driver in his 70s receiving that very bad injury. Now, psychologically, of course, that's going to take a lot to recover from. And I remember back in 2015 chatting with John Constant who uh, had a group also turning him uh, down around um, the Carrick, sorry, my apologies, uh, down around the Glaunton area when he was bringing them home. He was very much in the news at the time and I promised that I'd hopefully have an opportunity to, to have a quick chat with him. He joins me by phone. John, good morning. Can you hear me all right, John? Oh, he's actually swung to phone lines. My apologies. Okay, John, there you are. Morning to you, John. How are you? Good morning, Neil. I'm good. And yourself? I presume you're good as well. I am yeah. well, pal. I am. Does it does it all come back to you when you hear of a fellow taxi driver uh, in a somewhat similar situation to you last Friday night? Yes, Neil. It, uh, it does. Um, we were talking about it this morning. And um, I'm saddened to hear that another driver was attacked. Um, Liam, he's a lovely guy, and uh, it's a terrible thing to happen to him. And I know it's bad, but he's lucky to, to that they didn't uh, cut his throat. I know, oh, sure, I know. And and you know something, it just doesn't seem to be getting any better. Sure, it doesn't. With Bobby Lynch saying this no, morning that a week doesn't go by there. Okay, there's not an injury all of the time, but there certainly is harassment, burglary, intimidation, and threat. Yes, there's something happening every weekend, and and as. Um, Probably said 
a lot of drivers won't report it because nothing seems to happen when they do, you know. Did you go it back to work, John, after that event? I did, I did. Uh, I went back and I, I spoke with my family and um, I, and, uh, and I presume Liam will speak to his family as well, as well as him and being worried about coming back to work. I don't want to be worried as well. The fact that every time he goes out in the car, will this happen again? And you, you know, did you did you work away since 2015? Are you still driving? I am, Neil. Uh, I've cut down to two nights. Two nights. I only do the two nights or the Friday night and Saturday night. I don't do any other nights. And did you get um, over the ordeal itself, the terrifying ordeal, or is it always with you as to you never know who's going to get into the cab next? Well, you're, you're always worried, yeah. You're always worried that... Um, you're more cautious. Uh, when you get um, two two guys that sit into a car and bored them sitting back and nobody wants to sit in the front, you're worried. You're worried that one of them doesn't want to sit in the front. I prefer to have one up front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. that's the way it is. Would you, you prefer know? Perspex, though? I know I keep harping on about it, separating the front from the back where the driver is 100% safe. Uh, well, a lot of people would. Personally, uh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like it. Uh, I think it's... Um, it's very impersonal, I know that, and there's nothing better than a chat with a taxi driver. But at the same time, though, you know? Yeah, it, I think it's, it's it's less personal than with the, with the, with the passengers. You know, I like, I like to chat with the passengers. They like to chat back. Um, but most of the time, no people get in and they're on their phones and... They give, they give it the destination and the next thing they say this stop here this to me here and that's it mm. they don't say oh a lot these things mm. Mm. you know mm. I know but um, yeah. I appeal for anybody out there to keep an eye out for Liam's car and uh, I have no doubt that the girls will find these people they'll backtrack through the cameras through the streets I have no doubt that they'll find these guys. Yeah, hopefully. And identifying the car so that he can get that back and get on with his work and what have you. Um, yeah, I know. I know. Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. I know, I know. You know, it's, it's, it's a worrying time for him. And he's going to be, I'd say... I wouldn't be a bit surprised if the man doesn't go back to work ever again now. Well, we wish we won't say anything personal in that regard, but apart from wishing him well and hoping that you know he he recovers physically and emotionally from the event. Um, I just don't know which way society is going that we're having an awful lot more stories like this whether you know the people getting into the back of the taxi are um, you know um, out of their heads on drink or or drugs or why would you be why would you be carrying a knife you know these kind of aspects of society nowadays it's awful yes but you know when they do when they are apprehended it's the judicial system like giving them suspended sentence this is a serious crime attacking we're civil servants as such just finally in that regard that's exactly what happened to you and I won't go into much of the detail you know but but let me just let me just ask you that was the the, the people involved in your case got a caution um did that anger you it does it does and um I can't say a whole lot about it but definitely who you know so the courts need to be stronger with regards to sentencing and the judges need to take things more seriously. Uh, a lot of the time, listening to sob stories from the defence counsel isn't good enough kind of thing. Hello? I'm saying that all too often the judges listen to the defence counsel who presents sob stories to the courts 
uh, and that well, that's not good enough. In my case, it only went to serve the superintendent. Yeah, I know. I won't go into, I won't go into much the of that detail. Yeah, yeah, that was the decision made. I know, I know, yeah. I know, I know. Listen, um, best wishes to you, John. Nice to catch up. Probably. Thanks for that. Thank you for that. And much obliged. Take care, John. Take Bye-bye. care, take care. Bye-bye. Lots of texts. We'll pick them up after 11. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Thank you to everybody who's been texting on different topics this morning. Text 0868104106. Neil, as a taxi driver, you can't have perspex in your car as it would be a lethal weapon in a car crash. Also, some insurance companies will not cover you because it's a modification. I kind of understand that insurance companies might give a jip over it, but perspex uh, separating taxi drivers from passengers is the norm in many, many countries around the world and they don't see it as a lethal weapon in a car crash. I mean, you go to the UK, the black cabs, you go to the yellow cabs in New York and what have you. Please, can you give a very big shout out to Noreen O'Mahony who won Blarney Person of the Year on Saturday night in the Castle Hotel in Blarney. I can tell you that a word from Neil would be the cherry on the icing on the cake. She's a big fan of yours. Happy to give a big shout out and congratulations to Noreen O'Mahony. She retired last year after a lifetime of looking after some of the most vulnerable residents in the community. Working with the HSE as a home care assistant and Noreen has been quietly helping people to live with respect and dignity in their own homes, always going above and beyond. Noreen called often when she wasn't working to people collecting prescriptions, doing the shopping or simply calling for a chat and a cup of tea. She went way beyond the actual paid for call of duty. She's a wonderful woman and was rewarded at the weekend. So congratulations, Noreen. You deserve it. A lot then with regards to uh, the murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier. Uh, and I will come back to all of those texts, I promise you. And we were talking about, um, I was talking about, you know, self-scanning checkouts and what have you and the way everything is becoming so impersonal. You were on about self-scan checkouts. I was so surprised when I was in Singapore and indeed in Australia how impersonal things have gotten with the likes of cashless and even ordering food via a QR code. That happens a lot in various airports now where you actually sit down in front of a screen. You never actually meet anybody. There's no conversation with anybody apart from the person that brings you the food or the drink. You order it on a screen, put in your credit card details and away you go. It's cutting, no matter what way you look at this, lads. Seriously, it's cutting down on um, labour costs. That's the big issue here. You know, it's about saving money. And a buddy of mine then sent me a photograph, a screen grab, not from Dubai Airport or Singapore or Abu Dhabi, but from Cork Airport, where he says to me, this is the price of a can of Guinness in Cork Airport. Six euro and 30 cent. I've seen worse. I've clearly seen better. I mean, it's not draft. It's a big can of Guinness. And it's six euro thirty, which means that these days there's no real difference between a can of draft Guinness, I suppose, and a pint of Guinness poured. Just, I suppose, as a stout drinker yourself, would you say that six thirty for a can of ask Ash Shea Machine there as well? Yeah, six euro thirty a lot for a can of draft Shamus Guinness. Is tied up. Seamus, you can give me a thumbs up or thumbs down. Six, six euro thirty. Six thirty for a can of Guinness. Too expensive. Thumbs up. Thumb down. Seamus is way too much. Is it? Yeah, that's. Is I, it? it is a lot, really, isn't it? I mean, for a can like. What should it be? I mean, in fairness, if you bought a can in a... Jeez, I don't really buy cans of stout in an off-licence, but like... Well, six cans of Guinness would cost you... Six cans of Guinness would cost you 20... Yeah, like a slab of Guinness probably cost you 25 quid, would it? Yeah, I'd imagine so, something like that. Yeah, so like so six cans because you get them. So what's six? Say if you got six cans at that price, you'd be paying two euro a can. 
No, yeah, but if you're paying six euro a can at six cans, you'd be forty euro for them. Yeah, that's a big, like, that's a fair hike up, isn't it? In I fairness. suppose. But I was listening. Uh, what I, would the cost of a pint of draft? Well, a, a, a pint again is uh, a Cork Airport. Uh, I don't know. I don't get that whole thing of people posting their pints on the airport. Uh, I love it. A, I think it's great. It's never really to myself. It's <laughs> at four o'clock in the morning or six. Yeah, o'clock. it's, but that's, it's that's nothing it's better than a, like drive, walking through an airport for an early morning flight, seeing fellas, groups of guys. <laughs> or couples having a couple of Swifties you know in the at bar. four I just did the I four in the morning thing I just I don't even look at anything at four in the morning never mind the point of the back stuff <laughs> no I know that but I, I just I just I just I just think it's good. I suppose I suppose a draft like in an airport I'd expect to pay maybe about seven quid seven fifty given the fact that you're expecting a markup it's an airport you know you're, 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 you're it's the only place you can get it I get that um, in a normal pub I wouldn't be expecting to pay any more than five fifty maybe for a pint of Guinness but uh, not that I drink Guinness I'm a purely Beamish man but that's different all right, well, six but euro thirty for I a can once, of in the airport. I once paid fourteen euro for a pint of Guinness in Mumbai, just because. <laughs> Just undrinkable Guinness I was, I was there and I just thought you know it was like two minutes away from India Gate and I thought where else can you drink a pint of Guinness and literally look at one of the biggest monuments in India so I said I'd buy it not realising you know, I just thought oh, it might be a tenner what did like, it taste you know, like? It, was, it tasted like it tasted like a can of Guinness it tasted like you know the way when was, you it get, a like, can, was it a can or was it draft? no I think it was draft but it was kind of how would I describe it like it was like thin do you know that kind of way? It's like, you know, when you. Watery. Yeah, it was kind of watery. Yeah, that's exactly the way <laughs> I describe it. Yeah, but 14 quid is the most. And I would never pay it again, but look, it was. The only thing you can do with a 14 euro pint of Guinness is drink it very slowly. <laughs> Save for every So drop. much for things being cheap in India, but there you go. Back after the break. The Neil Prendival Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Back to the phone lines in one take. Tim came back to me and says, to answer your question, a four-pack of Guinness is €8.50 in Lidl and it's €2.30 a can in super value. Crazy, crazy money. €2.30 a can in super value. It's like they're big cans. It doesn't sound like as if that's expensive to me. Uh, maybe I'm missing something, but certainly uh, Cork Airport uh, at, um, what was it again? It was uh, €6.30 a can at the airport. I suppose they have to add on some extra profit anyway text 0868104106 back to the phone lines we go thanks to John for texting and coming on air John good morning good morning Neil um, I don't want any detail given out on air if you don't mind uh, that might identify oh, yeah. the okay, misfortunate yeah. driver on Friday night for you know obvious reasons yes. but um, you, you started in uh, John Roach about nine, the early 90s was it? the early 90s Neil yeah, and uh, the gentleman in question was probably one of the first seven or eight drivers that I got to know because of the bus station they used to hang around in and so that's how long he's been driving I help people on about his ageism and this and the other they don't really oh, yeah, what, 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 is, what is it that somebody would say why is it that the majority of taxi drivers you talk about are pensioners what, why would somebody say that well I'm not quite there yet Neil but I will be coming up to my 40 years driving taxis before I'm a pensioner and I hope to be able to drive on when I am a pensioner. Absolutely. Sure, surely like you would want someone who can get you from A to B safely and the quickest route possible, not their age. Of course you would. No, that, that their age shouldn't matter. And plus, an experienced driver like that, why would you want somebody that doesn't know what the end of Patrick Street is or where it's somewhere is up in the north side? They're, they're, they're out there. And people that couldn't even tell you when uh, a festival is on or anything in the city. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You want them to know their city. You want them to... Cause, but... It's not safe now, it would seem, more than ever before. No. No, you hear those horror stories everywhere, Neil. Everywhere you go, we have a little app on Facebook and all this kind of stuff is put up and it's horrifying to see what people, what drivers are doing to people. 
And But again, it's our government that gave these people the licences and they've allowed them to operate. What drivers are doing to people? What do you mean by that? Mm, different things, Neil. I, I, I know, for instance, of a, a guy sent out, he was given a wheelchair licence, he was sent out to an address with a wheelchair request at the premises, and when he got out and saw the wheelchair, he said, I am not taking that wheelchair. Even though his licence stated he was a wheelchair, and he was given his licence under the order that he did wheelchair work. Well, would he have known in advance to going picking up the fare that there was a wheelchair involved? No, it's, you just, he saw the wheelchair and said, not, not interested. Yeah, and he knew it. It said it on the request. It said it on the request, wheelchair required. Wheelchair accessible required. Do you get a special tax exemption or something for having a wheelchair accessible taxi? You do indeed. It's called a wave, Neil. A wave is what it's called. And you get your taxi license for 125 euros. The vehicle is a bit expensive because you have to buy a modified vehicle. But you're allowed to operate as a normal taxi, but you have to do wheelchair accessible work. That's the terms of your license. So what's the benefit then in having it? Yeah, but when these things are reported, the NTRA don't do anything about it. They let it continue. Instead of taking, taking it back off them and saying, look, you didn't require your requirements. You're gone. But they're quick enough to issue out tickets for small things like, you know, you know, little things in the car. There's dirt in your car. Here's 250 euro fine. There's your fire extinguisher. Look, it's gone below the green. There's another 250 euro fine. It's all about money with the meal. Take yeah. the money off the cab driver yeah. and make his life impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you said in your text, no one wants to drive taxis. Um, is it because of the safety aspect or is it that there's no money in it or there are better jobs? Why? Because of what the, the, the stigma of it now, Neil. I was proud to be a taxi driver. There was a time when I'd go into a pub on Oliver Plunker Street when I was a young lad with my badge on my keyring, and the bar staff would give me a drink. They'd let me into the nightclubs. If I went into restaurants, I got stuff in half price. Go away. What was, the ben- what was the reason for that? Because of the service you provided, was it? Exactly. And now, now we're... No, you didn't get a sign saying no taxi drivers. I haven't seen it, but it, it, that way they don't want that to do with us. We're just uh, undesirables in the in this society because of what the element is doing in our, in our industry. And it's not being cleaned up with all these regulations. It's not being cleaned up. It's worse. It's getting. But you, you seem to be almost implying that you're critical of some taxi drivers. Of a lot of them, Neil. Not just some of them, a lot of them. A lot of them. There was a time when I was on the show about 18 years ago when I would have said to you 99.9% of all the drivers in this uh, area, Cork, were 100% because I knew every one of them individually. Now I couldn't say the same to them. Not from the stories I'm hearing from people being picked up and what they're going through. And In, in, what, in what sense? Me. In what sense? Being being ripped off, is it? Being taken the long ripped way? Off, or stories being kicked out of the side of the street at 3 o'clock in the morning because they blocked or they, whatever, you know? million different reasons. You, you could write a book on the reasons, Neil. But you know, but you, but you certainly, you certainly don't want somebody, you know, vomiting in the back of your taxi, and you certainly don't want somebody. Nobody wants that, Neil. But Nobody you, wants that. But if a young girl wants to stop because she's not feeling well, or a young lad is not feeling well, stop and give them a minute to get their breath. Then put down the window, not kick them out the side of the street in the middle of nowhere. And that happens, does it? Oh, yeah, it happens regularly, Neil. Not, I guarantee, you, if you put that out, no request for people that that happens, I'd say your phone would be swamped in minutes. Mm. Yeah. Swamped in minutes. Yeah. It's just that's just one excuse. There's a million excuses. And how's so? If yeah. you're if you're over say forty years driving now, um, did you ever come in contact with people who put you at risk? Or I know I know you probably had I runners did, and everything, I, but I did have a knife put to my neck, and I've had my nose broken, I've had a finger broken, several different things. Why, why would that? Why would that happen? Is is it always to do with not paying the fare? 
Mm, sometimes it's money, Neil. They want money. Or it's robbery. Yeah. Yeah. And another one was a guy, his pants were soiled and I wouldn't let him into the car and he punched me into the window because I wouldn't let him into the car. <sighs> So there's a million reasons why things can go so, but that doesn't matter. Okay. I mean, I have to let you walk. All right, the NTRA and the other lady, they need to talk to me. Thank All you. Right, take care. The NTRA, fair play. Thanks for taking the call. Text 0868 104 106. And I will come back to those. Um, on my conversations this morning about the late Ian Bailey, it sounds even strange saying that. Billy McGill says it might be easier for the Gardaí to decipher Nostradamus's quatrains uh, than to make sense out of the contents of Ian Bailey's notebooks. Uh, another one this is a sure way to get the suspicion off other people regarding the Ian Bailey case. Uh, I'm sure they'll find something to convict him. How convenient now, don't you think? He can't defend he can't defend himself now. I wonder if they will find the iron gates they lost. Uh, I don't think so. It is not his it 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 is not his DNA on it, I should think. I think that that, that gate that people talk about there there was if and I'm open to correction on this, but I believe that it had gone missing for a period of time, all right, but that I think it was eventually tracked down, wasn't it, in some Garda station down on West Cork, and that they have the gate. I'm sure I read that somewhere, but I'm open to correction if, I, if I'm uh, something that I, I'm misrepresenting. Um, the guards have a lot to answer for in this case. Ian Bailey, for sure, never helped himself, but isn't it shocking if Ian had nothing to do with it that his whole life was taken over by it? What happened to innocent until proven guilty? Well, that's the only thing that we have to grasp on as a society for it could happen to any of us without evidence and without being able to prove it. You are innocent until proven otherwise. Text 0868104106 to the phone lines. Martin, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, just picking up then on yet another attack on a Cork taxi driver on last Friday night. You also drive a taxi, right? I do, yeah. Well, how do you find it? Um... Well, I, I look, my sympathy goes out to that to that taxi driver, and I heard Bobby Lynch on about it, and and um, I, I hope he has a speedy recovery and gets his car back. But like, I think there's far too many. I'm not being ageist here, but I, I, I'm not. I know. I know. I'm not young for myself. I'm 59, but I hope to be driving a taxi still in 10 years' time if the man above spares my health. It's a good living. Is, I it, think is it a good living? It, it's a good living. It's a good enough living, yeah. But I'm on the app most of the time, and uh, but except on a Saturday night when everybody's coming out, and and uh, you 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 know you 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 be careful who you pick up. Okay, so people don't but know when you say you're on the app, you'll be on thing like a free now app free where you you the, the app identifies the job and you just go to the address, yeah. Yeah, okay. and as soon as you take the job, you know you you. You've been paid. They have your details. They have your details. And I have their details. So I think, in a, in a nutshell, the answer for these older guys, and I, as I said, I'm my own for myself, but I will stay doing weekends as long as I think I could def- I could handle uh, a situation, we'll put it, and I want to own. But three age, fellas come in take but, care. But you're like three fellas against a taxi driver yeah, in his 70s. That's what you can do. But the three guys up against a, a taxi driver in his 30s, there, there's no difference yeah. there. There's no. three of them. Exactly, exactly. But as far as I as far as I can gather from um, from what um, Bobby Lynch was saying, that the three boys were in the seat in the car before uh, as soon as he left out, somebody else they jumped in. Is yeah, that right. Yeah, that's it. They yeah, jumped yeah, in. Yeah. But in a situation like that, you just say, "I've another job." I know you might think that I'm, you know, you know, think that uh, that I'd have done that. But that's what you do. I mean, when you're, you, know, you have to realise when you're that age that 
you know, you're vulnerable. And these guys, these couriers, are going to go for the oldest guys. They had it in their head to rob that car off your man, and 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 they used the knife, and no, nobody can defend against that. No, I absolutely mean, not. Really, like no, no. and then we want my, we want, uh, my, we want uh, them caught, my, and we want them prosecuted. Yeah, but, yeah. Oh, exactly. But me, Neil, in a nutshell, my point is there is a way for elderly taxi drivers to work if they were on the app, because there's no problem with the app. You won't get any hassle on the app because they know that you, we we have their details and and they have your details. So you get no gra- you get no grief at all. You don't even get you know the argy bargy about not taking card or not taking cash. It's cash only, and it won't take a card. Well, I was on that. I was on two years ago. I told your researcher that I was on two years ago, and we had that. We had that. Um, we had that debate on the on the cab and car and cash. Look, but look, my my point is, it look a bit of both, a bit of both. Like you know, we, there's a choice in everything in life. In the last twenty years, it's all about choice, poor choice, and and there should be a choice between cash and card as well. Okay. But anyway, to get back to like and Johnny Constant there, uh, like I heard that as well there. But I think I I think Neil, the way is that if you if you think if I agree with um I agree with um. Uh, Bobby Lynch that if you're afraid to go out at night taxing you shouldn't go I know but at the but same there no, is but, a way but, but, if, you go, if you go on the app but hold on on like, no taxi, taxi drivers are driving family saloon cars like everybody else they're right. not adapted in any way, shape, or form. They're just regular cars with a meter in them. And in yep. the world that we live in now, surely for the safety of drivers and in other international countries, they don't have family cars operate. Well, some do. I mean, they can go to your legs here, Cairo yep. and your Istanbul and stuff like that. I get that. Yep. But by and large, they're very safe vehicles where the driver can't be got at. Yep. Why, I, would why go along one, I would go along 100% with that, Nick. So, I, I mean, I know, I know, I know it takes away from nothing better than chatting with the taxi driver and getting the, the lowdown and everything and anything that's Come happening. Here, Neil, you, 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 can, you can hear somebody's life story in 10 minutes inside the taxi. So we'd, lo- look, we'd lose all of that, I know. You, we, don't need, you don't need to hear it. I mean, there's a joke going around at the moment, uh, three questions that, that the taxi driver has asked. Uh, are you out long? <laughs> uh, uh, are you busy? And all this crack. You know, it's a joke. Like, but, but even, but even, even we're, in there the, to, we're there to take people home and, but, and, and to make it through home. But and, even in know. the, yeah, I know, and to do it safely, but to be safe in your job. And but even in safe. the black cabs, yeah. right, in London, they do have a loudspeaker yeah. system. You can still chat with them. Yeah. You just... I would, I would 100% go along with that. And that is the, that is the best solution. All right. But, okay. but, and the other solution is if you have if you have the details of the person that's getting into your car, and uh, and they know that you have their details, they're not going to be they're not going to be kicking up. There. All you got to do is drive straight to the gas. Okay, you but know, who is? I had, a, right. I had a runner once. I had a runner once on the free now. I didn't think I'd ever get a runner, and I'm with free now with twelve years, and I didn't think I'd get a runner. But I didn't even think of running after him. He was a young fella, but I just went straight to the gas station and I said, "Look, I don't know what he was running from." So there's his details, and within a week. I, I met his mother. Uh, he was on drugs, and he was he was he, he, and mother pleaded with me, and and I, I went to the guard station and uh, I got my I got paid and the guard asked me what I dropped, you know, what I not, not go any further with, and I said no, problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Criminal prosecution and, uh, against the guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Criminal prosecution. Yeah. And the mother thanked me, and she even gave me uh, an extra two pound as well for being um, uh, for being. Um, so brought, so uh, if everybody's know. on the free now. Who's picking up people after a few pints and a night out inside in town or the standing? Well, the I'm not corner? saying everybody. I'm not saying everybody. Look, Neil, we all know that 
we face fifteen percent commission on the free now app, right? And I've no problem with that. But some guys have, and they want all. They, you know, they, they want to get. But pay, you get more jobs in the free now. I might go out at about eight o'clock on the Saturday night there, and I'll go on the app because they're much in the street then, like they're coming into town, and it'll be about eleven or twelve o'clock. So I might go on the app for two or three hours, and I get mostly one job after the other. Yeah. And then I might I might turn down the app, turn, just turn, put it, turn it off for a while. And and I'll take jobs in the street because the jobs in the street are your own and, and, and you don't have to pay any commission on them. You yeah, know, right. you, you have 20 people flagging you down there in, in Grand Parade or, or the South Mel or uh, Patrick Street and them jobs are your own. And But, like, I think it would be an ideal, as I said, when I hit 70, if I'm still taxing it, uh, when I'm 70 and, I, and the app is still there, I'll be on the app. I, I think there's, I just, there's, there's still nearly 18 years and they're taxing on a Saturday night there. I mean, they're the first fellas who want to be targeted. They're the well, young fellas getting into, or maybe not so young. But blackguarding, there's mm. always a bit of messing with mm. young fellas. So, mm. I mean, they will target the older guys. You know? A lot of I them, mean, a lot of them, lady, I know. There is women, there is ladies I'm taxing at night as well, and that's fine. But I bet you any money, they are, they are on the app. And they have, their, they have their backup, they have their safety net with the app. Because they have the identity of the person and their details and if they have any trouble at all all right. straight again okay okay alright thanks Martin stay safe uh, back after the break calls on the way hang in there text or whatsapp Neil now 0868 104 106 the Neil Prenderville show on Red FM um, Darren has got uh, Milan School of Motoring Darren good morning the guy good morning the guy I've seen the video just now the guy driving that red car is a total amoeba like what? What? What did you see? You've captured it. You you got that with your with your dash cam, did you? Yeah, I've CCTV all over the inside and outside of my car. I was on a driving lesson this morning. Young girl coming down through Turners Cross. She was doing perfect speed, thirty thirty five kilometers per hour, which would be completely appropriate for passing a school. And this maniac comes up the road. I'd say 70, 80 kilometers an hour, overtakes her. There was a cyclist on the right-hand side. He nearly kills the cyclist. And then he goes straight through the traffic lights at speed by the junction of Capwell Before Road. Before he did that, though, there's a second cyclist that nearly gets hammered. You yeah, it's crazy. That? I've never... Like, I'm going to be honest about it. Like, I do court reports myself for people that are done for dangerous driving. I've never, ever in my life seen a dangerous driving incident as bad as I it's thought this unbelievable. morning. So, so we're going down Turner's Cross, heading for Evergreen yeah. Road to take a right down onto uh, Capwell. Is that... Yeah. yeah. So, and through a red light. He went straight through the red light and you can see the van on the left-hand side had to jam on to avoid hitting him. There's a, is that like, a, uh, looking at the looking at the video? I hope we can share this on socialize because you. Just oh yeah, no problem. This is this is mental stuff. Is there an L plate up on the back of it or an N plate? N. So he congratulations. He just passed his driving test. <laughs> How in the name so of God are these people getting licenses? But see, the thing about it is, one thing that I do experience is, they like obviously he didn't drive like that on the test, but like. There was no excuse for that. Like, he passed the school. Like, it was absolutely... He was hammering it, like... Like... Would it be, like, could it be I, stolen, do you think? It could be, but, like, I'm going to pass the footage on to the traffic watch with the guardie because I'm going to be honest about it. I'm going to do this guy a favour and I'm going to get him taken off the road before he's killed. Can, or you, get the, can you get the ridge off it? 
I have the reg. And you say I he? Have the reg. Are you are you saying he because you know it was a male driver? I don't know it was a male driver, but the only thing I will say is he pulled in on Tower Street, and when I came through the lights, I pulled up behind the car, and I took the reg of it. Because you so see who was I driving, the, like? No, I didn't see who was driving, but. I would imagine the owner of the vehicle will be legally obliged. You know, if it's stolen, it's stolen. And like, but like, I'd be, I'd be of the opinion that the owner of the vehicle is legally obliged to say who here's was driving the, the here's vehicle. Here's the problem, you see. How could that be prosecutable? The guards won't be able to prove who the driver was. But see, if the guards can't prove who the driver is, the guards can prosecute the owner of the vehicle for not telling them who the driver was. It's bad. You're enough. legally obliged. It's You're bad. legally obliged to tell who was driving your vehicle. I mean, it's bad on so many levels. The two cyclists um, driving down the wrong side yeah. of the road, speeding, driving right through a red light where a van has to avoid you by taking a manoeuvre out of the way. Um, I had, I, I, got, I, I even considered one time, that I got so down by seeing the bad driving on the roads, I actually considered a career change last year. I'm 19 years providing driving lessons in Cork. And the amount of stuff that I'm seeing on a daily basis. Now, I branched into court reports recently. And what does that mean? Dry. So basically, if you're a law-abiding motorist and you get into a bad accident, and it's a one-off, so a judge will reduce your a dangerous driving conviction. You will get two years off the road. Whereas if you're convicted of careless driving, which will be a step down, it will be five penalty points and a court fine. So what judges are starting to do now, they're going, well, this never happened before. It was an accident. You ran a red light and broke a guy's leg, for example. But that's not so careless. That's dangerous, asking, isn't it? It is dangerous driving. But the thing about the thing about it is the judges are kind of saying, this was a one-off. You've never done anything like this before. Generally, they'll reduce it to careless driving after you... I lost him. I was very interested in what he had to say. I'm sure you guys did too, but I've lost Darren. You, you know, I think it just, I think about that big WhatsApp problem might have crashed on me. So we'd come back to it if you can, guys, see if you can get a better line or flip to, um, to a mobile phone line. We'll come back to it. Uh, it's a typical example. Maybe other people have other stories about what they see, the crazy driving. God knows we have all our own stories. You really, you really see it these days more than ever before. Uh, the, the standard of driving, don't you? I mean, even in very, very bad weather conditions. I mean, there isn't a week goes by, even coming out uh, the, the, you know, the uh, the South Ring, heading out here to 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 Corrigan of a morning. The insane driving of people. Like a typical example would be leaving it way too late to get off on the slip. You're in, you're in the fast lane, and then you realise, oh my god, oh my god, what 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 is it? You've been texting. Uh, you've been on the phone while you're watching a TV show and you realise, oh my God. So what do they do? They just literally just cut across all of the lines of traffic and all they can see is the exit for the slip and really don't give a flying F about who gets in the way between them getting to the slip. Um, okay, I think that I think that video now is up on Twitter already if you want to go and have a look at it. And God knows we'll probably get other clips just like it. I think we've flipped actually to uh, a regular phone line. Sorry, so you're in, you're in court... Um, doing court work and you're saying that the judges yeah. are reducing it from dangerous to careless because they never the idiot never did it before go ahead yeah but see most of the cases that I'd be working on would be a law abiding motorist that would be driving for years that would make one judgement error they'd run red lights and to be fully fair now as well right 
any one of us could make that mistake at any time. Well, run, run, running myself. a red light now, is that continuing to drive or to speed up? Is See, this a big difference? I could, I could give you examples of cases without mentioning names, right? I had a case recently where a guy on College Road, a taxi driver, put his car into third to make the light and put the boot down and knocks down a pedestrian and broke his leg. But was that in like, court? That was in court, yeah. Was it, a, was it an in-camera or was it a public court case? A public court case. And what did the judge do with that? He was being convicted of dangerous driving. If he was convicted of dangerous driving, he would have lost his licence for two years. So the judge basically sent him to me for a driver. Well, he didn't send him to me. He told him to go to an instructor that does reports. And basically, we corrected his driving, done a driver rehabilitation course with him, and his, he was reduced then to careless driving. And he was fined €750 and got five points on his licence. So is that, a, jo- I, is that a job well done now, yeah? It is a job well done because the man, will, he's a safer driver now. And, but like, it wouldn't be a job well done with your man this morning. Like, does it this, because your man this morning, like, he should, he should be jailed for that driving, not even taken off the road, he should be jailed for it. Like, there's a big difference between someone making one mistake on the road. Hang a second, the guy who got down from dangerous to careless hit somebody, geared down, barreled through the red light, hit somebody and broke their leg. Absolutely. But he was driving 25 years without incident previously. No, no. He was driving 25 years of being caught, maybe. No? Yeah. There's two ways of looking at it. Is it a half full or is it half empty? But, like, what? how would society benefit by putting that man out of work? Okay. No, no, putting listen. I'm devil's advocate. I understand what you're saying and I yeah. can see the reasoning behind some of it. And now, he, now he's back on the road as a safer driver. Also back on the road knowing that if he were ever to do something like that again exactly. it probably would be a lot more than just a fine. You only get one chance. You only get one bite of the cherry. You can't go up again and go oh, I made another mistake. So do you have you seen in what 20 years now that it's just getting gradually worse? I see it's getting worse and for it's the standard of driving is gone very poor at the moment because Look, the RSAR after leaving another two driving testers go from Wilton now on temporary contracts. And they're just after hiring 15 temporary ones again. So they're constantly hiring temporary staff, leaving permanent staff go. And Why? Is, it, is, that that cheap, is that cheaper for them or what? Well, I don't know how it's cheaper because it's costing them half a million euros every time they recruit to and a recruitment agency. So, like, I don't know how it's cheaper in the long run. How can the standard of driving be getting... Okay, I'm just trying to think this out loud. How can the standard of driving be getting worse if the same driving test is there, if the same amount of tests and the lessons are there, and the same attention to detail is there? What what, what, what am I missing here? Is it that um, the people who do the test and they're they're brilliant, but then after they have the test, they're texting or they have the phone up to their ears? Is that it or what? Well, see, people are doing their 12 lessons, right? The 12 lessons are done and then they're 10 months waiting for a driving test and they're not taking any tuition between the 12 lessons and the driving test. And then they might take one or two lessons before the test. I have multiple clients that are doing multiple tests. They're going eight, ten times because they're not preparing. Hold on, what, what I'm saying is, I'm talking about the people who actually, if, if it's getting worse, right? But, mm-hmm. these, but these people who are getting worse actually have a license, don't they? The vast majority of them, yes. Right. And 
I know of an insurance company lately that will refuse to insure anyone over 30 off of first-time insurance because they class them as high risk. They'll insure a 17-year-old with a learner permit, but they won't insure someone over 30 for first-time insurance because they class them as high risk. They must have evidence to back that up, though. They don't just make these things up, you see. I would imagine so. I'd imagine statistics state that there's a higher risk so what, what else do you see you spoke about this lunatic this morning and hopefully the guards will be able that's like fish, shooting fish in a, in, a, in, a, in a barrel there with the reg and everything but we'll have to see what happens but what else do you see besides running red I, lights or I see like I, I also see people they don't really take care of their cars like I had an incident there on Friday where there was a big chunk gone out of the sidewall of a tyre and I said to the young girl, I said, look, that tyre has to be replaced. I can't have it in the car. And she was like, do I have to replace the tyre? It's only a small chunk. People don't take safety into consideration. They don't understand that if that tyre explodes at 100 kilometres an hour, you're in big trouble going down the road, you know? Do you, do you get grief then if you're out with the, with the learner from regular motorists behind you or what have you? To be honest about it, 90% of people are very good and some people are too good. Sometimes I'll have a learner driver coming into a junction and a person will see the roof sign and they go, oh, go on, love, go on, and they start flashing the lights. Whereas that's what we don't want. We want people just to obey the rules of the road and continue. Because sometimes... So I think they're too kind the then. Yeah, sometimes I take down my roof sign and I only use L plates as they get better at their driving. Because they don't have a big roof sign on the roof when they're out with mum or dad or when they're doing their test. Yeah, yeah. So I like I like to put them into proper traffic conditions. Like, the vast majority of people that fail their driving test do so because they can't think for themselves. Well, what are... Like, but, where be, but the, what we saw this morning, right, in this video, with an end plate, the chances are, mm-hmm. and I can't say with any amount of 100% accuracy, but the chances are that it's a young driver. Absolutely. A young, like... Uh, a young male they think they're great drivers drive too fast to cope with the unexpected like no doubt he might have had a young girl in the car that he was trying to impress or like but like at the end of the day he's an idiot an absolute idiot to drive like that like I see two types of young drivers I see the young drivers that are out walking they're back off to pay for their cars and they love their cars and I see the likes of that like there's a big difference between a car enthusiast and a boy racer he was a boy racer this morning. Okay, but if that boy racer then was, if that boy racer had hit the cyclist, not killed the cyclist, but hit the cyclist, broke the cyclist's leg, then continues to drive through a red light, would you be an advocate in court that that should be down from dangerous to careless? No. Not that Absolutely one. not. Okay. But the one thing, I thought of my control because it's technically... It's a plea bargain situation. The Gardaí can also object to that. Hearing a story so, this morning of a fellow who pulled up in the car, apparently went up to the window of a, this is road rage, I guess, went up to the window of a bus driver, pulled the, the bus driver's window and punched the bus driver through the window. It happens. But you don't know what's going on in other people's lives either. Like, normally care, from... I don't care I what's see, going on in anybody else's life. Imagine living with a character like that. Yeah, but you're like, he could have just buried a child five an hour previously. You just don't know what's going on. Like, what I do find with road rage incidents is someone that suffers from road rage may have something else going on in their life. I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying it, it's okay. But, like, he could have just came from a funeral. He could have, you know, he could have been uh, emotionally unstable and a hook of a horn then could set him off, you know? 
Yeah, but a lot of us get a lot of us get annoyed. We might f and blind inside in the car. We don't get. Do you, do you, do you remember the video that, that I shared of the road rage in Douglas in the village under the flyover? Um, I do. You remember, guy, guy guy gets out of the, in the road. He gets out of his car, walks up to the car in front, and literally drags you. I mean, literally, almost gets in on top of the guy, and viciously yeah, assaults him. I mean, yeah, I wonder what I've ever happened that. with that. Yeah. But see, the thing about road rage is you just don't know, like, there's people turn into different people when they get behind the wheel of a vehicle. And, like, people are under, like, people are under stress. Like, so I was driving a bus there over Christmas for six weeks. The driving school was quiet. Like, I was under desperate timelines to get to Dublin Airport and traffic. And, it, like, it stress levels then do go up with the average motorist. But, like... We don't kind of engage, but like the best thing about road rage is not to engage. Like there's no. Yeah. Point so in. what happened in Douglas was the guy in the front car, the black, the dark car, right? He was stopped at the lights, and there's a white car behind him. So the guy in the front got out of his car, went back to the guy behind him, remonstrated with him in some way, shape, or form, and got back into his car. The guy who he remonstrates with then gets out of his car, his white car, runs up to him because your man hasn't even a chance to close the door, and he pretty much climbs in on top of him and smashes him around the head and then walks back to his car and gets back into it. Like, that's, yeah. that's, 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 that's a jailable offence, like. It is, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'd love to know if anything happened over that. But, like, if there's anyone listening now that needs any tuition or help, they can find us at adicock.ie. All right, thanks, Darren. Stay in touch. Appreciate it, pal. Thanks, Much obliged for now. Take care. Bye. Interestingly, you know, talking about um, wondering whatever happened, what happened next. Uh, I see a text, Steve. I'm just back this morning and already a text saying, any update on the fellow with the Boyle Sports bet? I don't know whether you guys did anything about it, just nod or shake your head. No, nothing was done over the past couple of weeks with the 15 euro, 100 euro not paid out bet by Boyle Sports. But So we'll check in on it again just to keep that one live. So it's important to revisit stories. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Well, it's awfully sad um, revisiting stories where there's been loss of life or someone's passed away. Uh, I remember uh, chatting with uh, the loving family of a young lad by the name of Kasper Kozlowski uh, some weeks back, 15-year-old Kasper Kozlowski from Middleton, passed away on Friday night. He was diagnosed with a, a bone cancer in 2020 when he was just 12 years old. Uh, I was talking with his dad on the air, lovely, lovely man, and the family must be, obviously, are absolutely Heartbroken. I uh, spoke to his dad, Marcin, at the time, uh, and he'd gone through a number of surgeries in Crumlin's children, Children's Hospital, had a 15-year-old Casper. Um, I spoke to his dad after their house was destroyed with the Middleton flooding in October, and at the time, Casper was sleeping 20 out of every 24 hours. Maybe that might jog your memory. And the ground floor of his family home in Willowbank was flooded, and all their white goods and the downstairs furniture and everything was destroyed. And the family were having to put the heating on constantly and people listening to this programme were very helpful to them with regards to uh, replacing much of what they had lost. It was very sad and dear at the weekend uh, that uh, 15-year-old Casper passed away uh, on Friday night and our thoughts are with his family. In the presence of his loving family and the tender care of the doctors and staff at the Mercy, beloved and only and adored son of Alexandra and Marcin and cherished brother of Sophia. Sadly missed by all of his family and extended family it's, and also his pals in Middleton CBS Secondary School and Middleton GA Club. It's very, very sad. Um, 
You know, you talk about the cruelty of people. Uh, I spotted something um, this morning before I came on air. It was a story that was shared by, by Beat FM. It's a story out of Kilkenny. Um, I don't know how prevalent this is or how often it is actually happening, but it's the story of a dog grooming parlour in Kilkenny. Uh, they went onto social media because they were really upset over a, a dog that was ultimately abandoned by its owner. The backstories of this apparently is a man dropped his dog at the groomers in Kilkenny at 10 o'clock for the appointment and never came back to pick up the dog. So when the groomers contacted the man, he was unreachable, uh, which they say led them to ring the Garda station because they had no other option. Uh, They said, the following morning, we contacted the relevant authorities and we had the dog scanned for a microchip, but unfortunately, the dog wasn't chipped. And we were advised that by law, once 24 hours passed, we were obligated to report the matter to the local dog shelter as the dog was now deemed as being abandoned by the owner or possibly stolen. Uh, And with heavy hearts, we did this, uh, but we had no choice. The guardie apparently told the groomers um, uh, that this was a scam targeting the groomers. As to why somebody would do it... um, I guess we automatically think we hear a story like that, that they no longer wanted the dog, didn't want to just abandon it on a country road or whatever, or go through the proper channels with the pound or the ISPCA or the CSPCA or anything like that. So just bring it to a groomer and abandon the dog there and let it be somebody else's problem. Awfully, awfully cruel, isn't it? Really awfully cruel. And when when you look at it, actually, something like that, um, what number did that person give? Um, Because if it was a legit number then surely the guardie would have a way of tracking the person. Well, you know, because there must be some kind of a crime committed here. But it's a new one on me, abandoning your dog at the grooming parlour because you have no more use for it, can't look after it or don't wish to have it anymore. Awfully sad. Do you remember earlier I was saying, uh, pretty much out of time, guys, so uh, uh, yeah, I'll I'll talk to Galena if you want to come back to all of the other texts in the morning. So just a quick one. Galena, good morning. Good morning. I, I don't. I won't have much time now, but I certainly can pick up on the conversations this mor- this tomorrow morning, if you don't mind. But whose dog is barking all of the time? Our dogs oh. are uh, to be barked all of the time, but okay. uh, they are really not. They are house dogs, and they only bark if they're triggered by something. If they're but triggered by not- something. Okay, so yeah, I have course, I have yeah. I have a printed note here that says my patience has run out. If your dogs keep waking up, waking up my children after ten p.m., your dogs will be given poisonous food. They've already ruined our lives enough. These dogs should have been put down a long time ago. My children are already traumatized at night. Now nothing can stop me. That's a very threatening message. Was it delivered through your letterbox? It was delivered uh, in the letterbox, yes. It was posted in the post office. So we don't really know who those people are and what the problem is because the dogs are house dogs. We had three of them and one of them never barked anyway. But uh, the other two, they bark when they see the postman coming or if there are any birds, uh, too many birds in the garden. Normal barking of dogs. I understand what you're saying. Normal barking, yes, yes. It's just a normal barking. And we are not sitting and just listening to them barking. We always uh, shout to them uh, if they go over the limits. They have anti-bark collars for the summertime when they spend more time in the garden. We 
we are very uh, loyal to our neighbors. But it must be somebody. It must be somebody living. But it must be somebody living quite close, close enough to hear them barking, right? Have you checked with neighbors? Yes, we've checked now, and I've all the neighbors, which are immediate neighbors. They are. They said they never had problems with the dogs. They are shocked when we show them the letter. And I can't guarantee is no one that is touching our walls or garden or whatsoever. And okay, okay. No you matter w- what, you know, uh, we posted this on Facebook, not for other reason, but to appeal to this person not to go any further with uh, whatever they are planning to do. To poison, do not, not poison our yeah, dogs. Of course, this is not the way to deal with the situation. So uh, nobody ever approached us at the door. Nobody ever said, look, your uh, your dogs are disturbing us or nothing like that, ever. They say that that their children are traumatized at night because they can't sleep. This is after 10 p.m. because of barking dogs. That's not possible. The only time our dogs are after 10 p.m. out is for five minutes for whatever they need to do, people, whatever. Okay. And they're in, yes, of course, they might bark once or twice, but nothing ridiculous or nothing uh, that uh, we are not taking action against. Let me just ask, I I come back to this in the morning because I'm clean out of time, but um, I'd love to get other people's opinion on this, barking dogs and how it can ruin other people's lives. I'm not saying for a moment that's what's happening in your case, by the way. But But you have put up cameras now all around the house, have you? Yes, of course we have because we we are working with Garda to solve the solution, uh, the situation because this is absolutely not the way to deal with the problem. We got our dog ripped apart from another dog. Okay. I didn't go to poison that dog. I just went to the house three times until I find the owners and I just said, please take action and uh, secure your fence because something bigger so can happen. Is it, is it possible for somebody to throw poison meat over your back garden wall? There is, yes, because our back garden is not uh, tall enough and uh, we have a side door as well, which that's why we put the cameras because okay, okay, uh, okay, okay. there is a possibility. Okay. But I don't want to live uh, in a house secured like Fort Knox. That's, uh, every house has a dog. Every well, you have three. Well, you, you know, but yeah, everybody has a, has a dog. But but three barking dogs at the same time that would make a fair there's amount. Not of, three okay. dogs. I know. No, no I know. I know you're upset. I know. I know. One of them yeah. never barks. I know. I know. And they don't bark constantly. They are not garden dogs. They are inside the house. They might bark when we let them out and get excited from uh, noise or from something. Normal dogs do that. Yeah, they do. The postman dogs. and off they go. God almighty, I know it, chap. Okay, listen, I'm, yeah. I'll, pick, I'll pick up on it in the morning. My, my apologies if I feel as if I'm rushing you. I'm out of time, but I will pick up on it in oh, the morning. Hopefully right. you'll be free. We can chat some more, but thank you for now, Galena. Anybody have other stories regarding that, how you handled a situation like that with regards to barking dogs? Um, apparently you can get anti-bark collars, for instance. You can also get sub- Supposedly, get these anti-barking dog sonic little machines. Don't do it, lads. Don't do it. Uh, my experience of these in the past is that they are just a complete waste of money. The anti-barking collar, that's another thing, though. 
think that they might give a do they give the dog a shock if the dog barks or whatever maybe maybe it's even cruel or painful I don't know anyway get texting get involved in that conversation text 0868104106 pick up the phone on 0818104106 right now and we can chat tomorrow on the air or email neil at redfm.ie have a good day I'll see you tomorrow when court talks car people blow my mind they talk to neil prendeville on red fm